You're listening to Turf Show Radio. With the first pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Rams select Jared Goff, quarterback, California. him at 1,000 yards on the button in his rookie season. And now, here's your host. Hello, everybody, and welcome to an all-new Turf Show Times Radio. This is your host, Josh Webb, joined, as always, by my boy, Myson Adiasor. Myson, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. Doing good. Beautiful day, no complaints, lots of Rams football to talk. Oh yeah, good day. indeed, indeed. I've got some complaints. I'd, I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to punch the person who invented cancer straight in the junk. Uh, yeah, I, I would too. My, uh, my, I found out today that my doctor, who isn't just a doctor, there's my friend, truly, yeah, truly, uh, is in the hospital with cancer, and then and she doesn't think she's going to make it, and. Aside from the fact that this is the woman who's been treating my back since day one and has been like my my gladiator uh, to to get me everything that I need for my back again, yeah, this is my friend, and there's nothing I can do, and I feel so utterly helpless right now, and it, it's a crap feeling. So. Sorry to hear that, man. I have definitely experienced that on multiple occasions in my life, so I completely understand. Yeah, definitely sorry to hear that. Yeah, and I appreciate it, man. But this podcast is dedicated to you, Jasmine. Thank you so much, and hang in there with us. Uh, but on that note, um, we got some rambly business to talk about. We got some people that aren't showing up to the family uh, reunions. They're not coming to the barbecue. <laughs> uh, That's exactly what OTAs is, isn't it? The family yeah. reunion. <laughs> it's just a family reunion and a barbecue, really. Yeah, uh, pretty much. But normally these types of things wouldn't matter. But when it's Aaron Donald and Tremaine Johnson, it matters. Now, Tremaine Johnson isn't likely going to sit out a year, so we're pretty sure he'll get done. But I understand, like, I I understand why Tremaine Johnson isn't showing up. Like, if, if I'm being serious for a second here, I feel like the Rams owe it to him to get him signed before Aaron Donald. Now, five people are probably lining up to slap me. I'm not saying don't sign Aaron Donald. I'm saying Tremaine Johnson's a guy you literally said two years ago was priority A. Well, I guess it would have been a year ago. Priority A. And you did nothing with him. You franchise tagged him. Then you franchise tagged him again. This is a dude who does work, puts in his shifts, 
and isn't well he's getting paid but there's no security it's 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 nice to have a big chunk of change but there's no security um i feel like he's kind of been waiting in line longer aaron donald will get done first because he's the mark he, obviously he's going to give you more but I feel like Tremaine Johnson has truly put in his time and should, like, I don't see why they can't get them both done at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just get both these guys paid. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I definitely think that there's a, it's like, there's the whole, I put my work in thing, you know? If you're going to, if you're going to uh, say that you're going to pay him, then pay him. You know, if you want him, then keep him. If you don't want Tremaine Johnson, let him go. Stop wasting everyone's time. <laughs> you know, let's let's not just hold on to him because you don't have any other option or nothing like that. Like, let him go. Like, if you don't if you don't want him, then that you do have an option. You know, the reason you don't want him is because he's not a good fit or you don't think he's good enough. Those are both good enough reasons to let the player go and move on. But don't just hold him ransom just because. You know, because. At this point, the whole thing is kind of just redundant. It doesn't even make sense. Like you said, that's not to say that Aaron Donald, he he's more valuable than Aaron Donald. But Aaron Donald has two whole years left. And even after those two years, you can still franchise tag him if you wanted to. So you, you technically got quite a bit of time for Aaron Donald. Tremaine Johnson, he's put in, he's paid his, he's paid his time. He's put in the dues. He, he deserves to get paid if you're going to pay him. If you're not, then let him go. So why are you why are you even letting it linger any longer? You know, his entire not showing up, you know, while it hasn't been confirmed, I don't have any doubt in my mind that the reason that he didn't show up is because Aaron Donald didn't show up and now they're like, Oh, let's get this, let's get this taken care of. And he's sitting over there like, Man, I've been trying to get a contract for two years. I'm showing up to all this stuff that's voluntary. I don't have to be here. And the second he says he's not coming, all of a sudden you guys want to bend over backwards to pay him. Okay, yeah. well, well, let me try that. <laughs> you know, so it it makes perfect sense why he would do that. And I completely agree with him. Get your money, man. You earned it. You know, like, do I think that he earned a uh, some ridiculous reset the cornerback market value contract? No, I don't. No. I definitely no. think the man deserves to get paid. One hundred percent deserves to get paid. He's earned that. You know, so this is the about whole dragon alone doesn't make sense. When I say he should be paid before Aaron Donald, I'm not. Oh, I understand what you're saying. Paying more. <laughs> Pay him more than Aaron Donald. Yeah. But this is a guy who's been waiting longer, and he's done everything you've asked him to do while he's been waiting. And now, and all of a sudden, when a dude who, by the way, still has multiple years left on his deal, exactly. is, like, is like, I want more. Not that Aaron Donald doesn't deserve it. He deserves every penalty. The stats, the productivity, the sheer presence of the Aaron Donald, all of it warrants paying him what he has earned. Yeah. But at the same time, so is Tremaine Johnson. Pay him. There's no excuse to be paying Aaron Donald before him. That is true. This is a deal that honestly should have been done last year during the year. Yeah, I mean, really, it should have been done before the year. Yeah, <laughs> you oh, know, when you go back to last year, you go back last year be, at the combine when they still had Janoris Jenkins and uh, Tremaine Johnson both. The the thing that he kept talking about, uh, Les Snead kept talking about, was you know 
priority A was signing yeah. up, re-signing their secondary and getting these guys taken care of and all this stuff, but they they, have, they didn't do they didn't do they two years later, two off seasons later, they still haven't signed anyone. <laughs> I don't consider a franchise tag signing anyone. You, you know, so it's like, you know, and at this point you've lost all your death. Now you're like scraping guys together trying to figure out how you're gonna do it and reaching for guys in the draft out of desperation. Like you're completely blowing this. I have never seen a situation handled worse than what I'm seeing with Tremaine Johnson right oh, now. I've seen it is the absolute handled worse, but no, I get not it. me, not me, not in, not in the NFL. Like this is really? this is pretty sad. Like, I, to, I like, like tell me, up. tell me the last guy that you can think of. Tell me the last guy you could think of that was given two franchise tag tenders that didn't really like. Like I said, he deserves to get paid, but he doesn't deserve a franchise tag money. Tell me the last guy you know of they got two franchise tag monies, even though he didn't deserve the first one. <laughs> like, t- t- who, who can you think of? I'm, not, I'm that- just saying, I think Matt Millen's time in Detroit was handled worse than this Trumaine Johnson situation. Uh, take your pick. This is pretty. Sanders. This is pretty pathetic. Take your pick of Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson. That was handled pretty poorly. And, uh, this is pretty. This is pretty this crappy. Is up there, this is top five. We're talking day. two. We're talking two whole years of making. You literally made the same mistake twice in a row with the same player. <laughs> like, how is that I even just, possible? Just, and then you turn around and, and you you tell a guy, "Oh, we're gonna pay you right now." The first time he mentions a contract, but then this other guy who you said that you wanted and who was saying he wants to stay. And has done everything you've asked of him. You don't. You you're not even taking it serious. You're like, whatever. We'll get to you when we get to you. You know, he's on the back burner. First, they said they they That's wanted to get him done before July. It feels like he's on the back burner. It feels like the way that if I were him, and I'm not saying this to start stuff. I'm saying it because of all of the reasons you laid out. The Rams, if if I'm Janor, or excuse me, if 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 I'm Trumaine Johnson, Johnson, I I look at the fact the Rams have told me I was priority A, or at least me and my compatriots, uh, you know, Jack Rabbit and and Rodney, we were priority A. Now both of my guys are gone. I have all of them. (laughs) Even TJ McDonald is gone. TJ is gone now. All of them are gone. I'm the only one still remaining. I'm still putting in shifts, even though it's getting increasingly hard because you're losing Pro Bowl caliber talent uh, on in in in, at at the safety positions and at the at at the cornerback position with Janoris Jenkins. And it's just you now. Aaron Donald sits out, and the Rams rush to get a deal done with him, which I understand, and I think they should do. So yeah, absolutely. I don't have a problem with it. But if you are Trumaine Johnson, it's a little hard not to feel like I've been passed over and I'm being overlooked at this point. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. Like you can do two contracts. At once, <laughs> but they're not even trying. Like, like we just watched two off seasons ago. We watched the Seahawks run into a similar problem where they had body after body after body in and need of a contract. They, up. Yep. they had to resign Earl Thomas. They had to resign Richard Sherman. Yep, they had to resign Russell Wilson. Like, 
there was so much money that they had to resign Bobby Wagner the same offseason. Like there was so much money that had to get tossed around, and people were like, "Man, how are you going to do it?" And they were like, "We're going to do it because we have to do it. You know, we need our best players to stick around because that's our best chance of winning." That's what smart franchises do. You don't just you don't just let guys walk away without having a backup plan. They have no backup plan, and that's why they're in the situation they're in now because they don't know what they're going to do if they lose if they lose Tremaine. So obviously, he has some value to you. Like, that's the only reason you would hold the guy ransom like that. He has value. So why not pay him? You know, <laughs> if, if he has no value, if there's no reason to keep him around, let him go. Like, it's just that simple. Let the yeah, man live him, his life. Let him go get paid and then next draft focus on bringing in some cornerbacks and and, and go from there. Uh, but if you are Tremaine Johnson, like, like we've said, man, it's open up a, a Coca-Cola classic here. It's a little hard if you are Tremaine Johnson to feel like you're being taken seriously when things have been, have drug out the way they've drug out. Absolutely. Um, and that's not to say that the Rams are disrespecting him. I, I, I don't. But they I, are. I, they may yeah, not be intentionally I, I, what they're doing, but they're definitely disrespecting him. Okay, fair fair enough. It's it's not it's not intentional and it's not by design. Now, how he. Feels about it and how he interprets it is not something that the Rams can control beyond getting the deal done. But if 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 he if if he came out and said he felt disrespected by it, I would not admonish him at all, and I would defend him against anyone who did admonish him because this is a guy who like you and I have said, comes in, does the work that needs to be done, and he's done it without having players beside him. Yeah, and you know what? The interesting thing about that is I question how would the Rams react if Tremaine Johnson said, you know what, I feel disrespected. If he came out and said that, if he put that out, what would, the, what would the Rams do? Because I know what Aaron Donald, what what that would do with Aaron Donald, you know. And again, I'm not saying that he's Aaron Donald's caliber, but if you right. if you feel that this player is a component to what you need to win, then you should pay him you because it shouldn't get to, it shouldn't get to the point. Row, you, you, exactly. That's <laughs> you know it shouldn't get to the point that. Even the Saints refused to franchise tag Drew Brees <laughs> two years in a row. Like, really? <laughs> Even the Saints was like, we're not going to no, it's not going to happen. You know, so when you, when you, they're like, we're going to work out a deal with, we'll deal with this guy. Drew Brees is far more valuable to the Saints than Aaron Donald even is to the Rams because he's a quarterback and he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. You know, so his yeah. value to his team is greater 5, than that 000, of a defensive tackle. 5,000 yards a season. Exactly. At least. No matter who his weapons is, touchdown. you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, no matter who his weapons is, you know you're going to get those type of stats, that type of production. He turned that entire city around, yet alone just the team. You know, so he's more valuable to that team than Aaron Donald is to the Rams. That's just a fact. But yet, I can guarantee you, <laughs> there's no way he would get two back-to-back franchise tags. Well, that's exactly what they did with Tremaine Johnson, who of the three players is easily the least valuable. But that, but that goes to show that there is value there. So why not pay him? If you want this guy on your team, I don't want to hear all that. We want to know if he's a good fit and all that stuff. Like. 
after the draft word came out that Tremaine Johnson never wanted to leave, and he, the Saints actually offered a second-round pick, and he refused to leave. He refused to sign the contract. They wouldn't do it until he agreed to a contract extension. He refused to do it. He wanted to stay. The Rams later then said, well, we wanted him to stay too. We never were officially uh, shopping him. Guys were, you know, teams were coming in and asking about him, but we weren't shopping him. Teams were just inquiring about him, you know, and that's what that's what they said. Although they could have said that before the draft. They said that after the draft when he wasn't moved and it started to look like he wasn't going to get moved. So you do have to take that with a grain of salt and wonder if that was indeed the case, that they never were really interested, but people were still inquiring about him. Now here you are. You've, he's gone through two franchise tags. He's watched Janoris, his buddy, go off and get paid. He watched Rodney go off and get paid. <laughs> you know, he, uh, he, he he's literally been put on the back burner to Aaron Donald, how much more can the guy take? <laughs> like, really, how much more can he really take? It is, that's just the, that's the question the Rams have to ask before they burn a bridge that he could easily, like I've said a couple of times, he completely controls his fate. He's about to make $17 million this year. He now, controls his fate. If he, paid, how much have they paid him over two seasons? Two seasons is going to be $32 million almost. Broken down, so, like, that's, that's, I mean, that's insane. There's no corner in the league making that much money. <laughs> <laughs> like, mean, let that sink in for a minute. He's making more than Richard Sherman, more than Josh Norman, more than Janoris. He's making more than all the highest-paid quarterbacks over the last two seasons. But you're not willing to pay him. That's the biggest oxymoron. Like I said, I have not seen a situation handled worse than this. <laughs> like, it doesn't even make sense that you're not willing to pay the guy when you've already paid him more than any quarterback has. He's getting paid more than quarterbacks this year. <laughs> like, that's crazy, right? <laughs> so that's why I say I, I, I think that this is the worst handled situation I've ever seen. Like, it's, it's pretty bad. It's, it's historically bad. Like, you can't get too much worse than this. Well, what we do know is that Aaron Donald and Tremaine Johnson are going to get paid, whether or not it's by the Rams or another team. Now, with Aaron Donald, it's going to be the Rams. They're going to lock him up long term. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What kind of money do you think he's going to get? What are we talking here? Aaron Donald's going to reset the market. He okay. will be the high, like Von Miller signed his contract last year. He's the highest paid defensive player in league history. In the league currently, is not even close. Aaron Donald's going to break that. The Rams are the Rams are likely going to kick out something close to one hundred and twenty million dollars over six years, something around there. It's going to be it's going to be a pretty penny to pay. And that's again not saying he's not deserving of it. He's definitely deserving of it. But they are going to and the, of course the the dollar yeah. that matters most is the guaranteed. You know, I, I honestly believe Aaron Donald is going to walk away with about $75 million guaranteed. He's going to get that's paid. That's what I'm looking at is because the money that you sign these days, that's just whatever. That like a lot of times when guys get these contracts, they're inflated at the back end because they want exactly. the to look good. But the guaranteed money is what matters. That's the only thing that matters in a contract is the guaranteed money. Players Bob Miller walked away with $70 million. Players don't give a damn about Pro Bowl bonuses. I mean, they do. You do. I mean, you look at you look at Lance Kendricks, who was one catch short of a bonus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you, you think, know, like, why did the 
touchdown that you dropped that uh if you want proof that players care about bonuses look no further than eddie lacy his contract is filled with bonuses based on his weight and playing time <laughs> and what did he do he showed up to otas in shape oh. for the first time since he's been in the league <laughs> players care about their bonuses it's just how do you get them to care is the question <laughs> He showed up at OTAs for the first time ever in, shape. in a respectable shape. Yeah, well, yeah, respect. I wouldn't even say he was all the way in shape because he was still kind of overweight for where they want him to be. Yeah, no, that's why I said respectable. But, yeah, respectable was a good way of putting it. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I, players I, care about the bonus. But, yeah, I think Aaron – like, Von Miller signed, you know, $70 million guaranteed. I think Aaron Donald's probably going to get 75 Aaron Donald will be the highest paid – Unless they can talk him into a hometown discount, I think he'll be the highest paid defensive player in league history. I, I don't think they'll talk him into a hometown discount because, well, Aaron Donald's earned it. Let's let's just be honest. Like the hometown discount is the fact that you get to keep him. Yeah, absolutely. Right. The, only the, say, the only reason I say the only reason I say unless they talk him into it is because I think they pulled that off with uh, Robert Quinn a few years ago. He was at the height of he's at the height of his career, and that's not to say he's you know below that now. Because let's not forget, he just turned twenty seven. He's been twenty six this whole time. People have been complaining. He's in the middle of his prime. His play hasn't fallen. His health just failed the past two years. So in the height of his health and playing his best ball, Aaron Donald resigned, and a lot of people thought that maybe he could have got more. So that's why I say that unless they can talk him into taking a home down discount no, similar to the Robert I, Quinn thing, I, then. I was I was more joking saying the hometown discount is the fact that, that Aaron Donald's re-signing with the Rams and not running out yeah. of contract <laughs> or something elsewhere. That's the hometown discount. Is the Rams really haven't been a contender and he's one of the best like Aaron Donald could could run out of his contract and basically like there would be thirty two teams because at that point the Rams would still want to do. There would be 32 teams who would be happy to take it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Teams, that would be the biggest recruiting frenzy since bigger than Peyton Manning. Because teams were scared of Peyton Manning. Yeah. Teams were scared of his neck and his age, you know. So that would be bigger than Peyton Manning, you know. That would be huge if Aaron Donald hit the market. It would basically be like LeBron. If, if Aaron yeah, Donald exactly. Like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to run it down. And and just chill on it because teams are gonna break their neck. <laughs> yeah, I mean he would be able to sign anywhere. He would be able to play with anyone. He would. I mean, ideally he would fit better in a three four than uh, over a four three. But Wade Phillips is about to show the world how how Aaron Donald can wreck shop in 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 a four three. Any system. <laughs> yeah. Any you know, he's gonna, well, 3-4, but yeah, he's going to do it. I, but, but, he's gonna, but, he can wreck shop any way, any, any, anyhow. Like, that's just the dominant player he is, you know. So, this is all to say that there's no denying Aaron Donald is a monster and deserves what he's got coming. Mm -hmm. There's no question about it, you know. Is Tremaine Johnson on that level? Hell no. <laughs> Tremaine Johnson isn't even the top five corner in the league. You know, I, could you make a case for top 10? Maybe I wouldn't put him in the top 10. You know, I put him just outside of there, top 15 guaranteed. But, I, I, you know, I wouldn't say he's a top 10 corner. Top 15 corner, though, year in, year out, is legit. You know, 
And that's 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 what you want on your team. You want yourself a guy that's can be in that top. You want two guys that can be up there either in the top 15 or very close to it. They lost one of them. They they you still have this guy around, but not because they did it the right way, you know. So you gotta sign them. It's just that simple. So I mean I, I feel like there's not a whole whole lot more you can say about the contract situation. Um I we're we're both in agreement that both these guys need to get paid. You wanna get it done sooner rather than later because the last thing you want are two guys dragging out OTAs by not showing up because that harms team continuity. Look, I understand why they're I understand why they're holding out and I'm not gonna begrudge them one bit. But uh, an unintended consequence of that is that it will affect team continuity moving forward, especially if this drifts into fall. Now, I don't think that it will, but we've seen situations that we all thought would get done and then fall comes around and people are still sitting there twiddling their thumbs and then players don't report to camp. So hopefully this doesn't turn into one of those situations. Everything from the Rams and on top of that, when we talked to Vinny too, you know, he even said this sounds like something the Rams are going to try and get done. Uh, something that they, they don't have to uh, uh, have hanging over their head for a season. You know, like what's yeah. going to happen with Aaron Donald? That's just too big of a distraction. So we think it'll get done, but it, it will be uh, it will be curious to see when, how. Um I guess I would say this in closing about the contracts, and then I'll let you add anything if you want. Um, however much you pay these guys, make sure you leave yourself enough room to financially enhance the team through free agency as you start to gain back draft picks from the golf trade. Um as you start to roll over in the, it, it, the, basically the brunt of the trade is over and done with. The Rams have dealt with that. Now we move on to 2018, um, and and we see we'll see what'll happen with the Rams in 2018. Sean Payton, or uh, probably I say Sean Payton, uh, we were talking <laughs> about the Saints earlier. That's why yeah. Sean McVay will have a first round pick. You know, uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does do with it. There, It'll be interesting to see what happens this year with uh, college football in general because this is a nice segue to our next topic. Right now, Jared Goff is having trouble uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? Separating himself from the competition – uh, Sean Mannion is is creeping, man. He is just creeping and hanging around. Now, uh, Sean McVay did state that if the season started today, Goff would still be the starter. But, I, and I'll let you talk about this. When he mentioned both quarterbacks, there was a noticeable difference in the manner uh, in which he spoke about them. Eh, Myson? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he didn't he didn't talk down on Jared. He didn't there was nothing bad about Jared. It's the problem is there was good about Mannion. <laughs> like that's that's more so the problem. You know, you don't want your uh starting quarterback, you know, your starting quarterback shouldn't have to look over his shoulder. And 
Sean McVay didn't shy away from the idea that it's an open competition. You know, while Jared Goff is definitely, as he said, he's our starting quarterback right now. You don't ever want to. You're not going to say. You're going to hear Bill Belichick say Tom Brady's our starting quarterback right now. <laughs> Tom Brady is the starting quarterback for as long as he wants to be. You know. And that's that's at the most extreme. You can even take away and you can look at um, the Dolphins. You're not hearing anyone down there talk about Ryan Tannehill is our starting quarterback right now. It's it's edged in stone that this is our starter. You know, um, they don't they don't look at the roster and they don't say, oh, well, he's putting a little heat on them. But that is the case. That is the case with uh, the Rams right now. They they they're Chime McVay has said it's going to be open competition all over. They want the best guys on the field at all times to play the guys that's going to give them the best chance to win. And he's saying his follow-up to that is we love what we're seeing from Sean Mann. He's doing this good. He's doing that good. You know, so there was a lot of praise there. And that's fine. You can praise a guy. But there was nothing to really put at ease Jared Goff other than right now he's our starter. And that's not that's not really enough for your starter right now. He's our starter. Just it doesn't it doesn't sit well. You know, so there, it, it is obvious that Jared Goff is the guy that they're trying to build around, but I took from that is we're not, and that kind of falls in line with the story that we released a few weeks ago, that we're not afraid to go to Sean May. You're our guy, but we're not afraid to get rid of you and if, you, uh, if you're not our guy, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I, I've had a sneaking suspicion that Sean Mannion can poach this thing from Jared Goff because he's a little bit more familiar with the concepts that uh, McVay is is asking just because of the system he played in under uh, uh, Mike Riley at uh, Oregon State. He was in the West Coast offense. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he had a lot of West Coast uh, concepts that were thrown in there as well. Um but but also they were able to function as a spread team when they needed to be. Oregon State was able yeah. to do a little bit of everything. And Sean Mannion really was an underrated quarterback. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if he poached the position from Jared Goff. Do you think he can? Can he? Yes. Will he? Okay, will he? Different story. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to say no. Um I, as I've said before, I really think that Jared Goff has to has to show little to zero improvement upon last year to lose his job. And um, improvement is going to be, you know, enough to keep him on the field. So yeah, I mean, the Rams are in a perfect position as far as the bye week goes to make a quarterback switch if they wanted to make one. But again, the thing that would cause that is if Jared Goff kind of bombs out the first half. If Jared Goff goes out there and wins three games, but he's but you know, me personally, I don't like to say quarterbacks, you know, how many wins they have because it's such a team sport. If, but if he goes out there and you know the Rams have three of three and five record at the bye, but Jared Goff has played solid, you know, he's completing fifty eight percent of his passes, and you know he's at a a twelve to seven touchdown to interception ratio well then he's on pace for 24 to 14 which is pretty good you know yeah, especially for a second for a second year quarterback you know so if he's if there if you're seeing some solid improvement you know and even if it's not 12 touchdowns you know I'm, I'm using uh pretty pretty good numbers here even if he goes out there and he's got 
nine touchdowns to five interceptions, six interceptions, something like that. I still have a hard time believing that they go away from him. Jared Goff would have to go out there and look like the Jared Goff from his rookie season. That's honestly what I believe. Uh, I think that I think Sean McVay likes Jared Goff a lot, but I think he also likes Sean Mayan a lot. I think he likes Sean Mayan more than he thought he would when he took the job. Uh, when he took the job, I think he took the job just looking at Jared Goff, got here and realized, hey, they got a pretty decent quarterback here sitting behind Jared Goff. Let's see what he's made of. Yeah. I think that's pretty much what it came down to. Um, I think there's a, an obvious reason why Mannion was kept. Uh, when they looked at, aside from the fact that I think Keenum was out of contract anyway, it just made more sense to keep Mannion. But Mannion's been in the system longer. Um, he's going to be more familiar with what McVeigh's uh, going to ask him to do. And in the event that Jared Goff goes down with an injury, you have a solid backup. I mean, I think the goal is still very much to put Goff in and let him succeed within this offense. Even though McVeigh uh, has talked about Mannion with a bit more enthusiasm, I think it's maybe maybe a little bit uh, on purpose so that Goff can just sort of ease in to being the guy. Don't put that pressure on him in the offseason. Hype him up to deliver something that he may not temper expectations. And Manion's, or uh, McVeigh's doing a great job of that. Uh, and, and of course you want Manion to feel like he has worse, so you elevate him, talk about him with a a little bit more uh, enthusiasm mention, of course, that, you know, he's right there in the thick of things. It's all standard coach speak. So uh, the question, obviously, is will Mannion supplant Goff? And neither you nor I think that that's a likely uh, scenario outside of what you said around the middle of the season. I think that'll be the yeah. determining factor. If, if if we're at a point where the Rams have a losing record, but Goff is showing massive improvement as a player, he's reading defenses, he's going through his progressions, he's building a rapport with the receivers, but the results just aren't there, that's fine. You accept that. That's okay. Look, if anybody thought the Rams were going to make a Super Bowl next year, I'm sorry, man. Like, I'm truly sorry about your luck. But... It's acceptable to let the guy grow and fail at the same time. That's the only way you learn. Uh, so I, I, I think Goff, especially when you look at the receipt, the, 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 the bigger question is, and this is something that we can talk about too, the Rams spent their first pick on a tight end. And we've talked about how we feel about that pick. And now that pick... Should is, have been John o. Smith at a later round, but yeah. Now that pick is is having some issues. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes back to Sean McVay again. You know, you mentioned coach speak, for example, right? Where coaches kind of talk guys up and stuff, but you kind of got to take it with a grain of salt. Well, the problem is when the coach is so genuine about a player, and this is why coach speak exists, 
it's very easy to tell when he's not quite as genuine about another. <laughs> um, you listen to Sean McVay talk about Cooper Cup. You know, let's go with two rookies. You hear him talk about Cooper Cup, and he's glowing. You know, he's like, oh, man, you know, he, he's like a coach out there. You know, he's, he's this and he's that, and he's running great routes, and he's catching this. Like, he last week, during the first three days of OTAs, he was basically bragging, borderline bragging about Cooper Cup. It was nothing but good things to be said. Well, when it came time for someone to ask him about uh, Gerald, Gerald Everett, his entire tone sort of changed. There wasn't as much excitement in there. It was more so, you know, he's improving. That was, that was what you heard. You know, so it's like, well, this is your first pick, you know, and this is the, the tight end that, that some people uh, are expecting to come in and, you know, make this huge impact. He's your first pick in the draft, you know, you don't have a first round pick. This basically is your first round pick and you used it on him. And you're not quite as excited about him as you are another player, you know, your third round pick. That's not a, a glowing in, in endorsement on him. Um, and again, this isn't a knock on Sean McVay in the way that he addresses the situation. I actually prefer coaches to be more honest. I like Bruce Arians because of his honesty. He doesn't hold anything back, whether you're talking about the other team, his team, it yeah, doesn't matter. He's going like to tell you exactly what it is. Honesty, like a Greg Popovich type. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I look, I look at the situation and I say, okay, it's clear that he's, 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 he's trying not to be so blunt about it, but there is clearly an issue with uh, Gerald Everett. He's not performing as consistently as you would expect. You know, he might not be picking it up as well. It might be a few drops here and there. Whatever the case may be, there's something going on there where they're expecting more from him. You know, whenever you hear that entire tone of the tone change, the excitement calms down. Like he was on, he was on level ten when when talking about Cooper Cup, and it dropped down to a level six or seven the second they mentioned uh, Jared Everett. You know, it was a huge difference, and it was it wasn't even slightly noticeable. It was it was pretty clear, and there was no you know the superlatives that he was using to describe him was just nowhere near what he was using for Cooper Cup, and not just Cooper Cup. You know, listening to him talk about um, Mike, Will, uh, uh, Mike, uh, listening to him talk about Mike Thomas, or listening to him talk about Josh Reynolds last week, he was really giving glowing endorsements to all of those receivers, and even Tyler Higby. But there wasn't the same with uh, Gerald Everett, and that's kind of where you have to draw that line and say, "Well, is there something that we don't know that's happening on the practice field? Is he is he not figuring it out? Is he having trouble remembering the plays? What is it?" So I do think that it is a little something to be alarming about. Um, it's something that, you know, you want to watch closely because it is very, very, very early. You know, so it's too it's too early to say, oh, you know, he this is this guy is this or he he's not going to figure it out. He's Brian Quick, which I personally have compared to pick to. But the player himself, we shall see. But um, it, it's early. But the, the for the, the way that Sean McVay has spoken about him, it hasn't been what you would want to hear. Yeah, it's not a uh, a ringing endorsement, if you will. When you draft a guy number 37 overall, uh, tight ends in particular, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those positions that you, you're not going to get a lot of production out of them in their first year, but we're starting to see a little bit of that change. You look at a guy like Travis Kelsey – 
and and the production that he had, and there's no denying that that was an impact here. Okay, he might not have had Mike Ditka's numbers, but I will take Travis Kelsey's numbers any day of the week for a rookie tight end. If you'd have told me that Tyler Higby would have ended up with 1,100 yards and something like, you know, seven or eight touchdowns, like I'd have been like, cool. That's 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 solid, you know. Um, but we are starting to see more and more dynamic tight ends come into the league, and and they spent a lot of capital to get this guy. I mean, it's only one pick, but but the capital that they spent, what that pick signified, what that pick meant, what that pick's value was is so much more than just second round number 37 overall. And you want a guy that's going to be, you want a coach coming out of OTA saying, yeah, that's why we picked this guy. You know, he's gone out there. He's shown us what he can do. Can't wait till fall camp gets here. And and we can put these guys in, 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 you know, live bullet situations and we'll see what happens. But, We've yet to even get to that point. Um, hopefully that changes between now and fall. Uh, West Coast offense is is a bit different than uh, whatever it was used to playing at. Um, but I also think that there won't be as much pressure on him because the Rams will be expecting more out of Higby. Um, yeah. You know, Higby, it's his time to step up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, I, I agree with that a hundred. I agree with that a hundred percent. And you know, um, and uh, every you know that he was the forty fourth pick. But I know what you're saying when you say the capital. You know, the value of that pick. That's that's what so that's what that's what stands out because you're if you're going to use that, it, and that's why I compared it to Brian Quick. You know, it was the value of the pick. <laughs> you know, he wasn't the first player they drafted that year, anything like that, but the value of it. You know, he was the first pick in the second round. It's a lot of value there, you know. Um, and are you going to get good return on it? That's the fear. I'm not – I'm just not sold that that's going to be the case. But as I said, it's still too early. I could 100% be wrong. I've been wrong before. <laughs> the only time will tell. Is it going to be something where the Rams should – depend on him barring injury absolutely not uh they should not depend on him at all to have an impact you know he should i would be happy to see him with 500 yards you know i would be happy to see that. i think that would be above and beyond anything i could have imagined he would have given just 500 yards receiving and three touchdowns you know i think that he will get about three touchdowns but i do th- also think that he's probably going to end the season with something around 350 yards, 375 yards receiving. I don't expect to see much more than that from him in his rookie year. Uh, contrary to that, I do believe that, as you mentioned, Tyler Higby will be the guy who's really kind of taking care of business as a tight end. Like, it's it's always funny. You know, I like to use the phrase prisoner of the moment. You know, the hype train, when, when it's fresh in the mind, people tend to forget about players. But just last year, Tyler Higby was one of the more explosive tight ends in the draft. You know, without a without the trouble that he had got into just before the draft, um, with the fight outside the bar, 
and being arrested, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's crazy to say Tyler Higby's probably going to be a second round pick in that draft. Um, if you take that away, that trouble that happened, and put him in this draft, a loaded tight end draft, I still think Tyler Higby is a second round pick in this draft. Tyler Higby was ridiculously explosive, caught a lot of passes in a lot of different areas of the field. Whether it was a screen, it was a slant, it was a go, it was a comeback. He was working the seams. He was all over the field for Western Kentucky, and he was literally leaving guys in the dust when he caught the ball. Like he showed off some real wheels with the pads on, on tape, you know, he was, he was really, really taking care of business. And I think it's interesting that you use Travis Kelsey as an example, because that's who he reminds you of the most when you watch him is uh, Travis Kelsey. That's probably the, the best comparison you can use for Tyler Higby. So when you look, when you talk about who's going to have that impact, when you got a guy who I think is forgotten because you have this new toy in Gerald Everett. And then also he spent most of his rookie year hurt. Uh, Tyler mm-hmm. Higby, that is. He spent most of his rookie year hurt. So people have c- completely forgot about him. And, and there's this excitement for Jared Everett because it's like, oh, we got a new toy. But this old toy is just collected dust. So we're going to throw it in the corner and forget about it. Well, for Tyler Higby, that's great because he gets to enter the league completely overlooked, no pressure whatsoever. He can just go play ball. And that is going to be part of the reason that he's going to be successful. You know, when you're in a scheme where they're wanting to utilize you, you are a focal point. As when you hear Sean McVay talk about this offense, the first thing that comes out of his mouth every single time is tight end. <laughs> it's every single time. It's the first thing out of his mouth. And when you watch the Redskins offense on film, tight end is the focus. You know, so Tyler Higby, nobody is I, – I think it's as far as um, – as far as who's being put in position to succeed, nobody's been put in a better position to succeed on this team than Tyler Higby. I don't care what position it is. I don't care who it is. You can look at the defense. You can say, oh, they brought in Wade Phillips. You know, this is great news for Aaron Donald. It's not as great as it is for Tyler Higby. Nobody in the NFL is talking about Higby right now. <laughs> Every article written NFL-wide is about Gerald Everett. No one's talking about Tyler Higby. <laughs> you know, but Tyler Higby is the number one tight end on the depth chart, not Gerald Everett. You know, and this is a tight end focus offense. J- Tyler Higby will be the focus of the offense. He's going to have a good season, and I'm expecting him to have something close to 700 yards receiving. So uh, we shall see if Jared Everett can, you know, close that gap. But just listening to Sean McVay, I'm not sold that he's close to doing it. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, I have no idea what the Rams plan is as it pertains to how they're going to fit both of these guys in. But the reason that I bring up Travis Kelsey is because I look at a guy like Tyler Higby. I look at the potential. I look at what he did at Western Kentucky. Now, Western Kentucky was aided by the fact that they were actually a pretty solid team across the board. Uh, They, they, they done, they done a good job over there. Uh, They, uh, USC freaking hired away half their staff. Um, so, you know, those guys are doing their thing at USC now and, and obviously not doing too bad of a job at it. So you, you look at that system and you say, this is an explosive system and uh, Higby fits the mold for what you need out of a tight end in a system like that. So the theory would be this, 
that you have Jared Everett, Gerald Everett on the other side, and he is able to grow into the game this season by playing opposite Tyler Higby, who will be expected to put up numbers, at least yeah. maybe a thousand yards. You know, uh, for Higby, I, uh, for Higby, yeah. Okay. I would think somewhere between 700 to 1,000 yards. Sean McVay favors his tight ends. Yeah, absolutely. If you're looking at that, and Higby, if he gets mismatches, that's a dude who can make people miss. And Higby can house it if he gets it. So I'm expecting, if Higby has grown, I'm expecting one or two plays that should be just a normal 10 to 15-yard gain but turn yeah. into a house call because his Higby's athleticism allowed him to get the separation to take Absolutely. it to the house. And so that's all going to add up into his numbers, which is why I say a thousand. I don't necessarily know if they're going to target him as a thousand yard receiver. I just think he will get there. By, the by, reason, by, the, by the reason I'm not sold that the, that he'd have a thousand is because I'm not sold any Rams player has a thousand yards this season. And that's not to say that that's not to say that, uh, you know, no one can. I honestly believe Tyler Higby is a tight end with the potential to be a thousand yards at the tight end position. I think he's he has that ability. He's a true receiving tight end, um, a former wide receiver himself, you know. But the reason I say that I'm not sure if anyone has a thousand yards on this roster. It's more so to do with how much is Jared Goff going to improve. And then also. The ball is going to be spread around a lot in this offense, you know, and with, uh, you know, I don't think Jared Goff is on uh, Kirk Cousins level in any way yet. You know, so if he's not on his level, you have to expect that the, the production, the production from the quarterback is going to be less than what, you know, we saw from Washington. And will it improve? Yeah, that's the plan. But will it be on the same level? Absolutely not. And then you add in the fact of how much the ball is going to be spread around without a quarterback that's not quite as good as what Sean McVay had. I'm not sure that there's going to be a, a wide receiver with a thousand yards. You know, I'm not expecting Jared Goff to eclipse four thousand yards passing either, though. So that probably plays a role in me saying that I'm not sold that it will be uh, a thousand yard receiver. That's fair. I can completely understand that. I, I mean, I, I look at Goff and I say, you know what? All right. Even in a bad year, quarterbacks can still put up 4,000, 5,000 yeah. yards. Like, it's just the way of the gun in the NFL. So, Goff could have a bad year, but has still put up 4,000 yards. So Absolutely. Uh, and, and I think that they intend to let Goff let it, let it ride, you know, let it fly. Let, I mean, you've got a quarterback with a cannon. Let him go out there and do what he does. Um Look, he may not have the arm strength of some of the guys that they talked about, but I have seen Goff throw a deep ball. And not only does it get there in a hurry, it looks flipping gorgeous when it does. I'll have to pull up the video and retweet it, uh, uh, share it again from a Cal game. But, I mean, this is a pass that covered about 65 yards before it even hit the receiver's hands. And it only took about one or two seconds. Yeah. I mean, look, the guy can throw the ball. And he's got the ability to do it in a way that spread. He knows how to distribute the ball. He did that at Cal. He he 
he was he wasn't just a guy that locked on to like a Bryce Treggs or or uh, any of the other what, four or three guys that Cad what Chad Hansen wasn't he another one? Um, they, they didn't really play together that much, but I, I know where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, they, Cal had receivers. Their, their basic job was to run. Get under the ball and wait for it to be thrown to them. It was just basically yeah. four verts and go. And and Goff, he can exist within that system as well as work the quick slant game. So I think that by moving him back into shotgun instead of forcing him under center, surrounding him, and we talked about this last week with route runners, guys who are precision route runners. And I talked about this over the week on Twitter talking about guys like Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, are all guys that can get in there and run a proper route. And in the NFL, you can pick up a lot of yards by simply being fundamentally sound. And if you've got two guys on either side that can run a beautiful route, and then you've got guys on the outside who can get down the field, like a Josh Reynolds, then... Now, all of a sudden, you're talking about mismatches all over the field, and that's where Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett enter into the equation. Now they turn into monsters of the midway uh, because they are going to own the middle of the field. Absolutely. They are going to exist within that space with the sole purpose of just – eviscerating teams up the middle. And and I do think that there will be house calls by both Everett and by uh, Oh yeah, absolutely. Look, look, as much as as much as I have said about Everett, I should say I I undoubtedly see Everett as the best uh, post catch receiver from this past draft. It's not even close. And you're talking about yards after the catch? Yeah, like once he catches the ball, he was impressive. Yeah, and and that's what the Rams need. You know, they need guys who can hang on to the ball. They need, well, first off, they need guys who can catch the ball. Drops were way too big of an issue last year. And adding guys like Cooper Cup and Robert Woods changes that dynamic a bit. They're a little bit more sure of their hands. Um, How Josh Reynolds fits in, I guess we'll find out. And then, uh, who am I forgetting, man? Tavon Austin. Yeah, we all know what he can do. So, uh, what I'm curious is, though, is what is it about Tavon Austin that inspires L.A. Rams coaches to try and get him more catches than he probably should have? He's explosive. (laughs) That's the only way to put it. He's explosive. Because of how explosive... Because of how explosive he is, it's like... But is he, though? Like, yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna look. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna take it there with Tavon Austin. Like, there's no denying that he's explosive. There's like that cannot be denied because he's not the because he's not the the uh, impact number one receiver. That doesn't mean the guy isn't no, explosive. No, 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 no. He's too small to be the number one. I think anybody who sees him as a or was hoping he'd be a number one, like that's a fool's errand. That's I'm good. not going to say he's too small. See, I'm not of that mindset that he's too small. I just don't think he is. You you are what you you are what you are and you're not what you're not. That's just the simple truth, but I'm not going to say he's too small because if he's too small, then how do, how do you how do you 
He's just, that's just not what he is. He's not the number one guy. He's an impact player that should be used as such. You know, you go to him when you need a big play, things like he's what you have really well, good offensive coaches. People compare him to Deshaun Jackson a lot. And, and exactly. Yeah. And, and that shouldn't be the case. Yeah. You have offensive coaches who, who get it. Andy Reid is an offensive coach who gets it. Look at Tyreek Hill. The way that Tyreek Hill is used is the way Tavon Austin is supposed to be used. <laughs> you know, that is the way it's supposed to look when you have that type of player. The problem is Tavon Austin has—he's never had a coach smart enough to get that part. You know, um, he's explosive and he's—he—he he can change the game in the blink of an eye. Is he going to be your number? Is he the number one guy? No. You know, can he become one? I mean. I've seen guys do it late in their career before, but I'm not banking on it. You know, I do think that they can have success getting him the ball down the field because of his ability to uh, really turn on the burners and like separate. But I'm not going to say that he can't that he that he uh, will become this, you know, this bonafide Deshaun Jackson 2.0. I just don't see that happening. As I've said before, I don't I don't think he I don't think. I think the best season that you can expect from Tavon this Austin, uh, Tavon Austin this year is 800, 850 yards, and that's because they're going to send him deep so much. Tavon Austin could could very well average 16 to 17 yards of reception, similar to Deshaun Jackson in that role. But is he a true Deshaun Jackson player? I don't know because Deshaun Jackson is he's you got to think about how long this NFL been around before I say this statement. Deshaun Jackson is easily one of the best deep threats the NFL has ever seen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, his ability to beat you deep by setting Deshaun you up. Deshaun Jackson with, like, can be a number one receiver. That's the thing. Right? He, he is, though. <laughs> and he is, a, he is a number one receiver. He, can he is as much these days. I think yeah, yeah, that's true. he's more of a two. He, that's true. That, the way teams spread the ball around these days. But he can set you up and beat you deep. First off, he can run right by you if he wants to because yeah. he's fast enough. But then he can set you up with a wide range of moves, just a huge, huge wide range of moves where it's not even close, you know. And when he gets north and south and he really turns it on, it's over. He hasn't got beaten. It's over. It's not. It's nothing you can do to change you're, you're not going to check him. You're not going to track him down from behind. Exactly. You're not going to catch him. Like he's, exactly. He's and the same can be that part. That part right there, maybe not the moves, you know, the wide range of moves to set a guy up, that may not be included. But as far as once he gets past you, you're not going to catch him. The same can be said with Tavon Austin. The difference is the ability to track the ball. It's unbelievable how well Deshaun, because Deshaun Jackson, if you watch Deshaun Jackson, he's not a guy who's staring over his shoulder the whole time running down the field. He's a guy that's, you know, he beats the hell out of whoever it is that he's going in. Last second, finds the ball and goes and gets it. (laughs) You know, that's just who he is. He he can track the ball better than a lot of guys in this league. And it's not close. And I don't know. I don't know if that's ever going to be Tavon Austin. You know, that's why I say the best that I would expect from Tavon Austin this year is 800, 850 yards. I think he'll probably finish closer to 700, probably around a little over 700. I don't think he's going to be as low as he's been, though. I'm not, I think uh, there's, I think that, that most people are, the, it's pretty much split on Tavon Austin. The, the people are even thinking that he's going to be Deshaun Jackson or they're going to think he's going to be Tavon Austin. <laughs> I think, I don't think he's going to be a 400-yard receiver or 500-yard receiver. I think, he, uh, barring injury, as long as, Deshaun, as, long as uh, Tavon Austin is healthy, I think he'll get about 700 yards. 
um, after that, then that's when you get to see how much more does he have, like what else can he do for you. Man, I I I think the problem is pretty much what you said in that he's not a number one guy. And to expect that out of him is is setting your own self up for failure. You're you're gonna end up being mad about something that was never going to happen anyway, and it just doesn't make sense to do that. Uh, I, you need, I, I, I'm, I'm going to stop short because I hate when people call him a gadget player. I, I don't like that. I hate that too. He's not a gadget player. This guy. Like, I don't even know what a gadget player he is. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, what, what does he wear? A hat and a gray <laughs> overcoat and shit just pops uh, out yeah. of his hat. You know, go go gadget hands. Um, <laughs> Chris Hernandez, you are the man. How <laughs> <Hold> about it? <laughs> we'll get to his question in in, in a minute. Uh, uh, yeah. But uh, well, uh, you know, I, I I think that's where a lot of the frustration with Tavon Austin sets in with the fan base is that there are expectations beyond what he is capable. <laughs> Exactly. of delivering or that he is going to be expected to deliver. You might want to put exactly. the ball in his hands. I can understand why they're saying, hey, we want to put the ball in this guy's hands around 100 times this season to see what happens because about one, two out of every, you know, three times you hand him the ball, something positive is going to happen probably. Uh, maybe that's not a, a, a solid statistic, but I, I more often than not, Tavon Austin will get you something. You know? Yeah, absolutely. If it's, if it's drawn up properly, he can get you something. Um, and you look at it, I, and I was seeing this, uh, you know, Charles McDonald was posting this of, about the, uh, with Todd Gurley. And people saying, oh, but Todd Gurley sucks. And then, you know, you're posting all the, he, this guy's posting all these GIFs. Of the of the Rams offensive line and like I mean it's, it's, it's these things are not suitable for work in terms yeah. of how poor the offensive line was you know yeah. so you look at how well all of those things hold up and that's going to affect what a guy like Tavon Austin can do if the offensive line can't buy him three seconds to get down the field then you've already clipped his productivity in half. You've basically eliminated what he's good at. No, I agree. And, I mean, I think I've said as much, you know, a few weeks ago on the show that if the, if, if the line doesn't improve, then Tavon Austin doesn't become anything close to what they're wanting him to be, which is Deshaun Jackson or something close to it. Um, so the line has to improve. The difference is I think the line does improve. Um, and a huge part of that is I don't think Greg Robinson's on the field. And I've said before that the biggest improvement to the line uh, is not Andrew Whitworth, but it's actually Donald, John Donald Sullivan. Trump just go uh, recruiter. I will be announcing my decision on the Paris Accord Thursday at 3 p.m. in the White House Rose Garden. This is this is a, that's a total recruiting move. All he needs to add is I will not be accepting interviews at this time. Please respect my decision. 
Sorry, I just wanted to have some fun with it. It was it was an amusing it was an amusing tweet. I don't care about the politics of it. It's just an amusing tweet. <laughs> like, <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. If you follow recruiting, you're used to seeing kids tweet stuff like that all the time. So yeah. But but back to the conversation and it, yeah, you can't ex- if you eliminate. Half of what Tavon Austin is good at, you can't get mad at him for not delivering. If the offensive line isn't holding up, and that's not the sole reason that Todd Gurley had a bad season. Like, look, the Rams' offensive line was was bad last season. Like, yeah, they were. Worst, and Worst in the league. Look, bad. look, we can talk about the line all day when it comes to Gurley, but the fact of the matter is Gurley did not run the ball well. Look, I mean – because no, no, there's something well go ahead and finish the thought on Gurley and then we'll get to then we'll get then I'll let you rant about something else. So you look at you look at the offensive line, yeah, they were bad. No one's ever denied that. And yeah, they affected the way that Gurley was able to play. The bigger issue is you look at Gurley himself and he just was missing holes. And I think this has become more evident now that the season's over and you're starting to see people go back and watch the film again. And, you know, you're starting to see more articles and things come out just nationwide about Gurley and the way that he ran the ball. But Gurley didn't have the worst ranked offensive line. <laughs> they weren't the worst. <laughs> it wasn't even close, actually. Um, Jay Ajayi actually, actually had a worse line than him. But eight, uh, as we all know, Jay Ajayi barely missed being the leading rusher of the league <laughs> you know his line was beast yeah his line was worse than Todd Gurley's and as far as stacked boxes go he saw just as many <laughs> and the, um there, there was a couple of backs who saw more than Todd Gurley the problem is when you have those things occur and I love to use Steven Jackson as an example because people say oh well the, you know Todd Gurley he didn't have, you know there was no weapons to throw to and the quarterback sucked and the offensive line sucked and I say what the hell did Steven Jackson have for 10 years <laughs> you know well, especially when T- Torrey Holt left like Torrey Holt Orlando Pace they both left the same off didn't leave they were cut the same offseason okay you you talk about a, a, a guy who doesn't have much around him do we need to? Do we really need to rewind to the 2009 season? I watched the Lions stack nine people in the box on more than one occasion, and Stephen Jackson refused. He literally said, "I'm not going to go the season without a win." He refused to lose that game and put the team on his back and carried them with one of the worst offensive lines put together. Everyone always loves to bring up Alex Barron and bring up Jacob Bill and all this stuff when they say, oh, man, those guys suck, except for when it comes to Todd Gurley, you know, and because when it comes to Todd Gurley, oh, he has a worse line than Steven Jackson. No, he doesn't. Like, that line was terrible that Steven Jackson had, but he still was able to produce. Why is that? You know, we're going to talk about My thing is, if we're going to talk about Todd Gurley in such a high esteem of, oh, he has the ability to be an all-time great, and we need to treat him that way in both aspects. Todd Gurley simply did not run with good vision. He didn't hit holes. He went down from shoelace tackles and arm tackles and all that crap. He just was not running the ball well. That's just the simple truth of the matter. Take away the fan hood and just call it like you see it. <laughs> That's all you have to do. And you, there's, there's no denying it. Jay Ajayi had a worse line. He also ran against more stacked boxes. 
that's a proven fact. <laughs> the stats are out there, you know, but he still was able to produce. Some guys are just going to figure out they can create their own yards. Ty Gurley did not show that he can create his own yards. And this isn't just based off of this one year. You go back to his rookie year. After those first couple of games, Todd Gurley didn't do jack. <laughs> you know, most teams were like, okay, well, we'll just stack the box against him. That was it. That was the end of Gurley. So I think that people are more so riding the wave from his first four games, you know, as opposed to looking at the next 25 games after that where he didn't do jack. So I, 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 can't, I can't blame it all on the line. I just can't. Yeah, I, I'm not going to blame everything all on the line. Um, it, it's The line had its problems, but within that, there were also problems with Gurley. There were problems with Goff. There were problems with the receivers not setting their blocks and setting the edge. There were There are tons of problems, and I hate when things are heaped on one unit. Like, there are times... When you can look at a team and say, all right, but for the defense, that team could have been a real contender. But usually it's not that straightforward. Uh, Usually there are myriad complications, myriad factors, and just, I, I don't even know, man, like, it, so many different things factor into how a team plays over the course of a year that heaping all the blame for the Rams on the offensive line, even though it was awful, is is sort of an easy way out, I think. Um, but before we get out of here, we got some listener questions to go through, too. Let's talk about the offensive line because your boy, Greg <laughs> Robinson, it is That's your boy. Hey, that's your boy. <laughs> he didn't make it out of OTAs. He didn't look, make it out of OTAs. I just want to say, I'm, look, I'm gonna time. put it like this. <laughs> he didn't make it out of OTAs. Yeah, Jamon Brown already getting reps to start right tackle. Look, I'm gonna put it like this. I mean, I said when you asked me this question a few weeks ago, when does when is you know how long does he? stay in that spot. And I said, I don't think he makes it through the preseason. <laughs> and I stand by that. Is it set in stone that, you know, Jamal Brown's going to be the guy? No. But here's the thing that you have to realize. You're not seeing Andrew Whitworth get pulled out so they could go put in, you know, anybody on the team. <laughs> you know, and put anyone in the team on the team in a left tackle. You just don't see it. Why? Because it's not. there's no point. You're wasting time because you know that's your guy. You're not seeing Roger Saffo lose reps. You're not seeing anybody lose reps with the first unit except for Greg Robinson. Why? Because, well, he's Greg Robinson. He just has not produced well enough to, you know, lock down a spot to where he could just say it's mine. I'm not losing reps. And that's just the simple fact of the matter. I don't believe that he he keeps the spot. I, th- I don't, honestly, there's a chance. I, I I'm not sold that he even stays on the roster. You yeah. know, come time to come the season, I'm not, I'm not 100% sold on that either. Will they keep him? It's possible. You know, I would I think say that they'll trade him. I think they'll trade him. I think that I think that they will try and get something out of him. Maybe a fifth. You know, a, 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 another team with a great offensive line coach might look at him and say, I, "I can do something with this." And you know what? They may be able to. 
they may be able to. Look, Andrew Whitworth didn't become a Pro Bowl left tackle until he hit his 30s. So I'm not going to write off Greg Robinson for his entire NFL career, but I will say that Greg Robinson has had about as bad of a start as you can have without having any off-the-field trouble. Absolutely. I would agree with it. And, you know, the worst part of his – the worst part of what you've seen – I do want to the worst part that you've seen from him uh, is his career is the unbelievable penchant that he has for just making the the untimely mistakes that he <laughs> that he does. I've never seen someone make have as many can go the entire game not one penalty until a big play happens and then all of a sudden <laughs> there's a penalty and it's like it's almost like he's trying to do it. Like I don't understand how you can literally make that same mistake over and over and over accidentally. Now, now obviously he's not shaving points but that's how bad it looks you know like he he's consistently in that bad spot regularly like it's it's not even it's not even a heavy like whenever somebody gets a big play the first thing you're doing is looking to see if there's a flag on get greg robinson i watched case keenum have one of the best plays i've seen from any quarterback last year matter of fact the only one that i would say was better was the one from Jameis winston i think against the bears where he ran around for 45 seconds before he lost a 60 yard pass you know i would say that was the only one better where case keenum ran around forever back there looking for someone finally breaks loose and goes down and picks up like 30 yards 35 yards and then who is it that gets the penalty greg robinson i i just he went the whole game without a penalty up until that point so it's 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 sad to really say because you know you know how much potential is there, but as I say all the time, potential is what gets coaches fired. It's production that gets extensions, and yep. he just doesn't got it. <laughs> he, he don't got it, and it's, he, he at just least he hasn't not showed with it the Rams. yet. At least not with yeah. the Rams. It's just it's exactly. just not clicking in Los Angeles. Maybe Greg Robinson needs to go somewhere, sit, learn, have some time to develop without the expectation of being a number Absolutely. two overall pick. And, and, and revitalize his career in that fashion. But I think that if you're looking at Jamon Brown already displacing him, I have to agree with you. I don't know how much longer we're going to see Greg Robinson on this roster. I wouldn't at all surprise. I, I don't want to see it much longer. <laughs> and it's not, it's not to be a jerk. It's to be honest, you know. If you're if you're gonna get better, you need to figure out yeah. you need to figure out who your starting five is gonna be, and you need to let them build chemistry. Don't sit around here kicking dirt around, playing games, trying not to hurt feelings because Greg Robinson doesn't want to move the board. Oh well, kick his ass off the team. Like get your top five out there, let them build chemistry, let golf get chemistry, and more importantly, let Todd Gurley get some chemistry and know how they're gonna block so he can run behind them. Don't sit around here beating around the bush and all this stuff and. You know, wasting time. Get your best five out there, the guys that's going to do the job, the guys that you know you want out there. Let them get out there. Let them jail, and then go from there. Like, don't waste this time. And and I said, you know, I've said something similar. You know, it Manchester City deal, but their goalkeeper, Joe Hart, uh, not only does he play for England, but he's sort of like he's Ben City's guy. He's a good goalkeeper on some nights and then he's atrocious on other nights. Like there's nights when he's world-class and then there's nights when you're like, what the hell are you doing? And Pep Guardiola, the first thing he did, he came in and he was like, you know what? I just can't win with this guy. He doesn't play the right way. He doesn't, he doesn't do the things that I need to do in order to win. So the first thing he did, he shipped his ass out. 
There wasn't yeah. a, a eliminate the controversy early on. He just shipped his ass out. He tried him. He played with him. He determined, yep, this isn't going to work. And they made the decision to move him on. And that's exactly what we're talking about here. It's not a matter of not liking the guy. It's not a matter of, of, of hoping that Greg Robinson fails. It's simply this guy has had three years to make an impact, and he's already getting displaced again in his fourth year. The experiment Josh, is— Josh, forget make an impact. He's had three years to show a little bit of play. improvement. Yeah, yeah. He's had three <laughs> and he, years you haven't him. even shown improvement. Same for the Rams to move on from the Greg Robinson experiment. It is it is okay to call it a failed experiment at this point. Yeah. I would it say. Is. And, and that you doesn't know, mean Greg Robinson is a failure that he's going to be a bust. Greg Robinson could go somewhere else and have a perfectly respectable NFL career. I think the problem was he got drafted into a system that didn't make any sense for him. I, I, I don't think the pick made a lot of sense at the time. Uh, I know the Rams needed a left tackle, but but the system that Auburn plays in and what Jeff Fisher does, again, night and day. Same thing with Goff. And, and I think his- the system was fine. I think the position was wrong. Greg Robinson is a guard. There's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He is a guard in every sense oh, of the yeah, word. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, think, I think the position was wrong, too, but I still think the system was wonky. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was okay with him as a, uh, uh, when they brought him in as a rookie because they were planning on running all that power. And if you put him at guard and you're running power, there's less that he has to think about, you know. Because well, the, uh, other than other than the not. pulling, but he, <laughs> but he he wasn't he wasn't doing that, you know. I mean, if you go back to you know he what he was doing was he was sitting out there on an island. But if you go back to his rookie year and you look at when they had him in a guard, he looked pretty good. He wasn't bad at all. You know, you didn't see all the errors and stuff. He was able to play physical. He was able to play loose. There wasn't an it, there wasn't much as much of an issue. It looked like he had a future playing at guard, but tackle just isn't for him. And it's just a simple case of matter. You know, I'll say this. We'll get to the list of questions. This is going to be Sean McVay's first opportunity to prove that he's all about what he says. You have coaches that that say something and they mean it. And then you have coaches that just talk. (laughs) We've had Jeff Fisher for the last five years, and it was pure talk all the time. Sean McVay has the opportunity to show that when he says it, he means it. When he says that we're going to put the best guys on the field, this is his opportunity to stop wasting time and just get it done. (laughs) You know, know, you've watched – plenty of tape on Greg Robinson at this point. You've watched him in person. You've already said, you know what, we need to start prepping someone else for this job because I'm not sold on him. That's what I got from this, from, from Jamon Brown. You know, we need to watch someone else because we're not sold on Because like I said, they're sold on other people. They're, you don't see everyone else getting snatched out and put someone else in there. It's not happening. It's happening with Greg Robinson. So considering the fact that you already know what you know and you're still beating around the bush, this is your opportunity to say these are the best guys that we have. Let's put him out there. You know, when you talked about Greg Robinson, you said, you know, he's improving. He's doing better. He gave him that Gerald Everett type of response. When you talk about Jamal Brown, man, he moves so well for a big guy. Like, I didn't expect him to move that well. He's very light on his feet. You know, that's how he responded. You know, he's he's physical. Like, he was, it, was a sh- it was a bit of shock, surprise, and excitement. <laughs> but you didn't get that from Greg Robinson. You know, so I'll say if you're going to prove that you're 
all about your word. Don't waste time. Go into camp with a five, with a five and stick with it. Yeah. Yep. I I I have honestly felt for some time that the 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 best way to approach any season is to have your starting five set up and give them time to gel with the quarterback, especially in the case of a young guy like Jared Goff, who had an historically awful season last year. He needs this year to be smooth. Yeah. And starting your getting your offensive line right and set beforehand can only help him succeed and the Rams need him to succeed. So do right by golf, get your five in there, get them set up. If Jamon Brown is better than Greg Robinson, sorry about it, chief. Sorry about it. Jamon Brown. Guess what? You're playing Greg Robinson. You're not. And I feel like if the Rams can get a solid Starting five through at least maybe three, three or four, uh, I would say three postseason or preseason games. Then Jared Goff's chances of having a much Absolutely. improved season Absolutely, just I agree. shoot through the roof. No question about it. Everyone on the team gets better if you can put it. If you can let a, t- a line jail for three weeks in the preseason, everyone on the team gets better. Yep. And I mean everyone, even the defense, because your defense isn't on the field as much then. Yeah. So everyone gets better if you do that. It's, but you got to do it. You got to you do it. Basically a rising tide floats all boats situation here. Having the offensive line set up prior to the start of the season, it is the most – Important position, and frankly, for the Rams, it's 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 a group that they haven't been able to get right. They just haven't been able to get it right, and they need it right. They, if they yeah. there's ever been a year where the Rams need something to happen, it is this year and this offensive line, because I don't think Goff can endure another season like this. If the if the Rams offensive line folds flops and Goff has another historically awful year, he's going to take all of the blame for that. And, and we'll just skip right over the fact that it's a David Carr situation. He Absolutely. got drafted to a team that couldn't protect him, allowed him to get killed, and then tossed him out with the bathwater. I don't you know, like that. I, I if, if the, Jared the Goff, worst part about the worst part me, about let me David just Carr. say this real quick. I've said I think Jared Goff isn't isn't the guy, and that the Rams he's not the future. But I don't ever want to see a guy not being given every single opportunity he can to succeed. The Rams invested in him. Now they need to do right by him, and that starts with giving him protection up front. Absolutely. Go ahead. And all I was going to say is the worst part about David Carr is you ask anyone to this day, David Carr had all the tools. You know, he it wasn't just yeah, the physical tools. He, it wasn't just the physical tools, but he was good above the neck as well. The problem was when he got beat up as bad as he did, he started hearing footsteps. And when a quarterback hears footsteps, it's over. 
he'll he'll never be the same, you know, because his eyes isn't now filled. They're 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 looking at the linemen, they're looking at the linebackers, they're looking at everybody but his targets. You, it's all over, and that's what you don't want. You don't want the, your quarterback to start seeing ghosts because now you've ruined them. And honestly, I don't know too many quarterbacks that can take the time, the kind of punishment that Jerry Goff took. Now, granted, a lot of it was on him because he did struggle identifying blitz and understanding the protections and knowing hot reads and things like that. But then at the same time, there just wasn't good protection. You know, I watched guys get beat like ragdolls, and that just cannot continue to happen. Yeah, that that I mean, Matador blocks were uh, uh, they were being handed out like cars at an Oprah show. Um, yeah, you know, you get a sack, you get a sack, you get a sack. It it just exactly it cannot happen. It's not really fair to Goff either, man. It's just it's just not. You you spend all that capital on a guy, you bring him in, you tell him that he's your guy and you want him to succeed, and then. You you basically give him a paper bag and say, here, you know, hopefully this stops guys from from sacking you. And, you know, that's why I I look at the Andrew Whitworth signing and and more than just what he brings as a player. The amount doesn't he just seem like a guy who's already going to be up in players' ears, just chewing oh, yeah. their chewing their asses out? Like you're going to get this right, or I'm going to beat Absolutely. the hell out of you when we're done. You know what? He and it's not just Lyman. He said it himself. He's in quarterbacks' ear. He's in the running back ear. That's who he is as a player. He's a vocal leader. And he, and he, give he a said he said he said he did it with Andy Dalton. He said he used to be in his ear all the time. And I love that. He said he do, he's doing it now with Jared Goff. So I love the fact that you have that vocal leader because, honestly, you really haven't had a vocal leader since Steven Jackson. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think Whitworth alone is going to be a reason that Goff improves in a substantive way. I think that signing, and if John Sullivan stays healthy, I truthfully think that we'll see some uh substantive improvement in Jared Goff this year. I I, I I genuinely feel that from the bottom of my heart. I feel like Goff can have a much improved season if Sullivan can stay healthy, Whitworth delivers, and the right side of that line is 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 able to hold up. Um uh, the Rams have the talent. They have the players at receiver now. They they have a solid running back, a guy who can create, and now he has an extra layer of protection with a fullback who can act as a running back. So I thought that was another outstanding value pick. It sucks that they had to make it to aid Gurley, but you know what? Sometimes silver linings can be blessings in disguises. So we'll see what, what that young man is made of, but he may end up being, you know, on the team longer than Gurley. Who knows? Um, Anything's possible. Yeah. Especially and, in this league. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's get to a couple listener questions before we get yeah. out of here. First one comes from Calvin Ward, who said, do you think Donald and Johnson contracts get done before training camp? We kind of talked uh, about this, but we didn't answer this question. No, I, we didn't. Um, I would say that one of them gets done before training camp. Who it will be, I don't know. 
but uh, I think it's a possibility that one of them will get done. I honestly hope that it's Tremaine Johnson because um, he's he's earned it, and this has gone on long enough. You've wasted too much money, so I'm hoping it's Tremaine Johnson. I think that one of them will get done. But it, but again, in today's NFL, we watch things carry from OTAs, especially contract situations, through half a camp every year. Every single year, it happens. This could be the Rams' year. Yeah. <laughs> Every single year. Is this the year? Is this the year? Every year. Too bad it's not too bad we're not talking about this is the year where the Rams are, you know, Super Bowl or playoffs. We're talking about this is the year where it's the Rams' turn to have a contract dispute that carries halfway through camp. But it happens every year. Every year there's a player that contract carries them through halfway of camp. This could very well be the Rams year. So hope it's yeah. not, but we'll see. So um yeah, I this is his Twitter handle. Uh but our boy Negro Modelo, uh Triumph 3K. <laughs> love I love my interactions with him. Uh ask the greatest question ever. Um <laughs> uh, why did the Rams continue to force Bradley Marquez upon us? <laughs> Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I think that you have to look at Jeff Fisher on that one. I, don't th- I think we've seen the last of Bradley Marquez, if I'm being completely honest. I think he left when Jeff Fisher left. He just hasn't left physically yet. But we've seen the last of Bradley Marquez. Don't worry. <laughs> I think that um, Bradley Marquez will probably be on another roster, um, probably somebody who's friends with Jeff Fisher. <laughs> but uh, – I don't think that he's going to be – honestly, there's just no space for him. We know four receiver spots are going to be locked up. We know Tavon Austin, Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, and Josh Reynolds are all guaranteed a spot. I've been saying since January before we even made the additions that I honestly believe that uh, Mike Thomas will make this roster and he's going to have a role. So – and he that's a name that unprompted – unprompted – You've heard players and Sean McVay mention so far in OTAs. You know, without even being prompted, his name has come up just from the way he's played. Um, I know they did the uh, he did the interview with Denny uh, Club where he's talking about, or she said, you know, she sees him after practice working extra long, and he's always around Robert Woods and Tavon Austin, and kind of in their hip pocket, and he's putting in so much extra work. I think that the light has come on. I think he he wants it, and he was he was a guy that I thought was very underrated in last year's draft anyway. So I think Mike Thomas makes the roster, and after that, I think it's pretty wide open. The problem is I don't believe that he's better than Farrell Cooper. <laughs> I don't think that he's I don't think he's better than Nelson Spruce, and we all know how I feel about Nelson Spruce. <laughs> so you know he's not better than Paul McRoberts, Marquez North. He just doesn't he's not he doesn't offer as much as those guys and all of those guys can play special teams just like him. So it's not like he even has that to brag about. So I think we've seen the last of Bradley Marquez. We're about to find out, but Parrish Walton wants to know, is that offensive line gonna get any better? I feel like these people are listening to us and asking questions <laughs> like these are coming in late. Like these <laughs> just got sent. So mm, CIA, so, man. The offensive line, I said already, I think it's going to get better. I'm pretty confident in saying that it's going to be better. And I'm on record. I know a lot of people hear me say this and say, like, what the hell is he talking about? But I'm on record as saying John Sullivan was the biggest addition to this offense. 
bigger than Andrew Whitworth. <laughs> you know, he's he's the biggest difference maker, and it's because he plays the center position. I cannot stress that enough. John Sullivan, no matter how beat up his body is, the mental part of the game is part of the reason that he was an all-pro for consecutive years and a pro bowler for consecutive years. Before injuries, he was one of the best centers in the league. What he can do for Jared Goff from a head-up perspective is more value than anything else on this team because, as we've mentioned, Jared Goff, one of his biggest struggles as a rookie was identifying the blitz, knowing hot reads and all this stuff. The center is an extension of the quarterback. He makes so many calls during the game. He will help Jared Goff as well as Todd Gurley tremendously. Okay, I cannot stress that enough. It would, uh, barring injury, which is a huge bar, <laughs> you know, considering his last couple of years has been so injury riddled. Barring injury, John Sullivan is going to really improve this entire offense, not just the center position. Yeah, uh, with. Tim Barnes, especially, uh, John Sullivan represents such a massive upgrade. Like, I don't even know where to begin. Um, even if he's playing injured, I think he's still better than Tim. He's Barnes. definitely better. An injured, <laughs> uh, you can send him out there injured and he's playing at 50% and he's still, still 25% still better than <laughs> Tim Barnes. <laughs> And I'm not even saying that to be a jerk. It's just that Tim Barnes was never at any point remotely close to an all-pro. <laughs> oh, and here you have a veteran, former multi-all-pro pro bowler. You know, a 50% of him is better than a Tim Barnes. And that's just the simple truth of the matter. Yeah. Yep. All right. Here comes a fun one. Bate wants right. to know, was it cool <laughs> for Casey to start dating Joey after her and Dawson broke up? Who did you bring a Dawson's Creek question? Well, te- technically, <laughs> technically, Bate did. I, I just <laughs> question. Uh, yeah, man, it, it's always cool. You know, we you do what you got to do to have that fun, and it is. Um, hey, you can't you can't say no to we get the chance. How can I keep this G rated for the show? <laughs> yeah, you don't say no. You got the opportunity. You got to knock it off. There you go. <laughs> yeah, by that, besides Dawson was kind of a whiny baby. Like dude always. He, was he moved on quickly. Yeah. <laughs> he moved yeah. on quickly. It was, it was cool. So yeah, it, it, I, who I cares? Mean, he, he moved right in with Michelle. Like, yeah, I mean, it was, he was already over. He cried about it, whined about it. Oh, Oh, she, yeah, whatever. He moved yeah, on. Yeah, we all remember so. the famous. We all remember the famous cry meme. But then, but then he wound up with Michelle. So, and at the end of the day, Pacey ended up with Joey. Like they were meant to be together. I think Pacey pushed Joey in a way that Dawson never could. And uh, Dawson was Dawson worshipped Pacey way too much. Like he just yeah. sat sat at you know, her altar and worshipped her. Whereas Pacey challenged her. He made her be the best version of herself. And the the, the problem with why it took them so long to get together is because Pacey never felt like he was worthy of uh, Joey. And by and large, for a long time, he really wasn't. I mean, the, the show starts out with Pacey boinking his teacher, so... I mean, yeah. say, say what you will, like, 
Dude, hey, he he was the man for that. Was <laughs> now that I'm yeah, and then the show ended with him like in the in the series finale. It started with him getting his ass kicked because he was sleeping with that other dude's wife. Like <laughs> he was, Pacey was low key the man. No one knew it at the time, but he was the man. <laughs> Pacey, 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 and Jack got more got more tail than anybody knows what to do with. And good for Jack because I I thought Jack was one of the greatest characters on that show, and he never gets any love, never gets brought up. But good old Jack, man. I also love that Pacey's brother ended up being gay at the end. And, 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 <laughs> Why? And got, and I don't know. I just thought it was a unique twist at the time. Okay, yeah, unique twist. <laughs> like, why? Why does that even matter? <laughs> well, it was just a unique twist at the time. I didn't see it coming. Yeah. It was a surprise. You're like, oh, shit. Pacey's gay. <laughs> oh, and he's dating Jack and raising Michelle's kid. If you haven't <laughs> seen Dawson's Creek by now, my bad. Um. <laughs> Look, if you haven't seen Dawson's Creek, you're never going to see it because I don't even know where you can find it at this point. And the only reason I watched it is because my sister used to always, my video game was like in the living room as a kid. Not in my room because my mom wouldn't let me keep it in the room. I don't know why. My sister used to always make me cut it off so she could watch Dawson's Creek. And hey, before I knew it, I started watching it with her. So hey. <laughs> the, the whole way, reason I got into Dawson's Creek is because I moved to Portland and I had a weird uh, schedule and I'd always get home at like three, four in the morning. And at that time, it was coming up on the actual like it was in the final season. Uh, it was back when Dawson's Creek used to be on TBS or TNT, whichever it was. Yeah. And they'd have it in like blocks of four hours. So you would get like a quarter of a season in in a morning like because they'd run like eight episodes so you could theoretically watch like a quarter of a season and i found myself like i was like okay uh i'll I'll watch it there's nothing else on it's you know three in the morning and then before you know it you're all into it and then i was watching the season finale live or the series finale live i had a dawson's creek dance it's true me and my friend, <laughs> me and my friend Lauren used to do listen, a Dawson's listen. Creek dance. I'm gonna tell you this one time and one time only. You need to keep stuff like that to yourself. <laughs> Don't actually, share that was, news. Actually, it was my friend. Actually, it was my friend Lauren's dance. Um, she wasn't. She's not really mobile. She's she's had dialysis, kidney replacements, and likely won't live past forty. So Lauren likes to celebrate all the little things in life and. I don't mind celebrating the little things in life with people. Um, and That's so fair. Lauren would do this little dance and be like, hey, Dawson's Creek. And eventually I just started doing it with her and it became the Dawson's Creek dance. But it was just a way for me to engage with Lauren while she was being mobile because she spends most of her life hooked up to a machine in a hospital bed. So, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, now don't you feel like an asshole? Uh, no, but no, yeah, it's no, fair. <laughs> no, you're like, still keep that stuff to yourself. <laughs> yeah. No, because that's a good story behind it. You can share that. <laughs> ah, that's true. All right, a couple last questions here from Calvin Ward, and then we'll get the hell out of here because he keeps sending them. Uh, he goes, what's happening with the progress of Josh Reynolds and Cooper Cup and any word on the wide receiver tight end depth or uh, yet 
or wide receiver tight end packages for first, second, and third team? Uh, I'll answer the first uh, we, question. First question now. We are yeah. way, way too early <laughs> for all that. Like that ain't gonna happen for another couple months. Like we we won't know that until we get preseason. Uh, so the the big question here, I guess, the one that we'll focus on is what's happening with the progress of Josh Reynolds and Cooper Cup. Uh, yeah. As I understand it, both are doing just fine. That's how I understand it as well. I've heard from folks that we've talked to here on the show, from sources that with the uh, organization i've heard nothing i've heard nothing but good things about both of them um the, the three names i've heard the most um have been and this is just throughout the uh entire wide receiver court tight ends included in there all the pass catchers the three names i've heard the most about have been cooper cup uh josh reynolds and um um uh, Mike Thomas. Those are the three guys I've heard the most chatter about who apparently are making the most plays in OTAs. They're they're kind of jumping off the screen when apparently, uh, so to say, um, in OTA so far, they're really, really they're battling it out, which makes sense because theoretically those three players are battling for that number three spot. I'm the, we, I think it's pretty much set in stone. Those three are going to make the team. Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds and Mike Thomas, they're going to make the team. They're going to be on the roster. They're all, you know, but, and they're, they're all going to get balls thrown their way this year, but they're really battling for who's going to get the most balls. They're battling for that number three spot right now. <laughs> Bunch of dudes battling for the, I knew you were going to say something. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something. I mean, you we're can't say something balls. like that. Yeah. You can't say something like that and then not expect somebody <laughs> to jump all over it. Oh yeah. Know. Especially I like, you got to remember who you're talking to as well. Like I'm talking to Josh right now. So, it's coming. <laughs> Ketchup flavored Pringles. Somebody posted a picture of like this is. I don't even know why. Yeah, no, this shouldn't exist. All right, we got any more? Yeah, one last one from Calvin Ward. Any Ricky Pass rusher right. standing out? Um, I haven't heard anything as yeah, far as rookies go. And the thing that you have to realize is, it's Josh said it so early. We are far from pads. <laughs> mm-hmm. When the pads come on, it's a different, it's an entire different ball game, you know, when the pads come on. Um, we're nowhere close to that point right now. We got some ways to go. When the pads, even when Kemp gets price. here, I think, I think Juan Price, price is going to be the man. I, yeah. I've stressed this <laughs> plenty of time. I think he's going to be the man. And, um, you know, I, I just had an article put up today talking about Tedrick um, Smith. I think Tedrick Smith has got the potential to surprise a lot of people in camp. I think he's one of those players. Again, you have players who, like Aaron Donald or Robert Quinn who can shine pads or no pads. It doesn't matter. But then you have guys who got to have the pads to really let loose and show what they can do. I think Tedrick Smith is one of those guys that's got to have the pads to show what they can do. And, of course, Juan Price, I think he's going to really get after it. Man, Calvin. <laughs> all right, we're we're gonna. All right, last question from him is: uh, any thought of the front office giving Re- Revis a look, or maybe we should look at the trade no. market? No, I wouldn't. No. Darrell, no. Revis, Darrell Revis is way past his time. Um, Darrell I, I Revis would, sucked last year. Yeah, I, I, I would take I, EJ Gaines over Darrell Revis right I, now. I wouldn't. I wouldn't sign Darrell Revis to hold up the pictures. <laughs> no, uh, I wouldn't. Uh, hey guys, 
public service announcement. All right. For those of you that haven't seen Dawson's Creek, you can watch it for free on freeform.com. So there you go. All right. There you There's go. a public service announcement, or let me know, and I can burn you all of the seasons because I have them all. There you go. There you go. We got connects right. around here. Yeah, we do. Hell yeah, we do. Mycin, all right, tell the boys what you got coming up this week because players are already – you know what, man? Actually, I got one last question for you because we talked about everybody but him, but where do you come in on Tanzel Smart? On Tanzel Smart? I'm a fan of Tanzel Smart, actually. Um I personally thought he had one of the best first uh, steps in mm-hmm. the draft on the interior line. Um, as far as just getting off the ball and getting upfield and penetrating, Tenzel Smart was one of the best in the draft. He was another player that I labeled as a legitimate steal when uh, we were talking post-draft. And, you know, I said those last three picks were just out of this park. Like, wow, you guys really hit these picks just based off of what we do know. Now, of course – Things can change in the NFL, but what we do know from college to testing to watching these players, they really hit those last three picks out of the park with Tenzel Smart, uh, Sam Rogers, and Juan Price. They they really did a great job with those three picks, and I think Tenzel Smart falls right in, falls right in there. Like he's gonna be a guy who has the who has a chance to really, 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 really do a good job and shine and and camp. But again. We can't really say anything right now because it's so early. But come camp when the pads are on and, you know, the the whistles aren't coming as quick upon contact, you're going to really – we're going to really see who's who's who and who's made of what. And I think Tesla Smart is going to be those guys that kind of stand out. But we shall see. We definitely shall see. I'm kind of really big on Juan Price, man. I think, I think that much like Aaron Donald – the Rams knew what they were getting with him, and yeah. there's nothing like – if you're Juan Price, this is the dream. Like, you play on the – you play at the interior line at Pitt or just play on the defensive line in general. Aaron Donald's like – I mean, that's, that's, that's the benchmark. That's the benchmark. Not only not only do you want to live up to the legacy that Aaron Donald left at Pitt, but you want to, if you got the chance, you'd love to learn from him. And Juan Price landed in that situation. And I, I have to imagine that he is absorbing every damn thing in the world off of Aaron Donald. He is just sitting there like a sponge, soaking it, soaking it, soaking it, learning and just trying to grow every single day. Um, not, 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 not that other players aren't, but when yeah, you yeah. get when you get to work alongside somebody that is an idol, is is somebody that you look up to, is somebody that 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 went to your school. Uh, it, you know, you hear about Aaron Donald, man, imagine being at Pitt, you know, you're Juan Price and like, just imagine being there and people saying like, this is the legacy you have to fulfill. This is, this is who you're looking up to. I mean, you know, Aaron Donald and what he's about, and then you get to go and work with him. I think the results are going to speak for themselves. Like, I know for me, it would be like getting 
I don't know, like if I got to go work with Lionel Messi or something, like right, day in and day out, like hell yeah, hell yeah. So, uh, what's up? You know, I was just gonna say the thing that I like most about the Juan Price uh, coming in and getting the opportunity to work with guys like Aaron Donald and Robert Quinn and Connor Barwin is when they asked him in his first ever press conference about, you know, Aaron Donald, he was so nonchalant. Like it was, there's no pressure because they already have a relationship. You know, he's just like, Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, there, you know, if it was, if it was a coach or, or, or an elder or something like that, then that would be the type of relationship where you would say they're on a first name basis. You know, that, that that's that's kind of how that's kind of how it is with them. Like they're boys. Like you could tell just from the way that when when he, the way that he reacted to the name. Whereas a lot of guys, you know, Tenzel Smart being one of them. You know, he talked about that being one of his favorite players in college. You know, when he was in college, he loved watching Aaron Donald. Like he would watch Rams and watch highlight tapes and all this stuff. Uh, the Rams because he wanted to see Aaron Donald. He was excited to talk about him for for Juan Price. He's just like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, I'll see him on Monday. We'll get to work then. <laughs> you know, it was just a nonchalant, like yeah, nonchalant, okay. yeah. It's just, it's just Aaron, already. but that's but that's a good thing, you know, because he's comfortable with Aaron. You know, he's already at that level of comfort he's because they already be have that relationship. Starstruck. He's, he's exactly. They can just go to work. <laughs> they can go to work, and they can just they can build. They chemistry. They can work with each other. They can go after it. And we know Aaron Donald's one of the toughest workers, and he has a reputation. Maybe that's just the way they breed him at Pitt. But <laughs> Juan Price has a reputation of being an insane worker, you know. So I love the fact that he gets the team yeah, back up with Aaron I can Donald. just imagine them like getting up at four thirty in the morning, like yeah. to destroy the weight room. Yup. Exactly. All right. <laughs> exactly. And and that'll be that. Like by the time they're done, there won't be any weights left for the rest of the team. Like, sorry guys, exactly. we broke them all. We're joined by Major Awesome himself, <laughs> Mr. Ben Albright <laughs> of Mile High Scores. Ben, how you doing, man? Thank you so much for oh, taking time out than- of your day to join us. Oh, anytime. I'm doing better now that you gave me that ridiculous intro since we we're talking about that off. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, we're the kind of show that aims to please our guests. And if if Major Awesome is is can put a smile on your face, then Major Awesome. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so one of the first things that I want to get to in this is uh, looking at the draft for the Rams. Uh, how do you grade overall the? The players that they got, what, what what would you give it as as a grade? Well, I I hate to I hate to do those things. I hate to do grades, especially right after you know a draft. We haven't seen these guys play yet. Um, I think that you know what they did with the limited number of picks they had, um, you know, was it seemed to be pretty smart to me. Um, so from that angle, I would say I think they, you know, they did pretty well. They had limited ammunition. They tried to go out and address what they needed to address, and uh, you know, I think they were smart in that. But as far as giving it a grade, I'm, I'm always so just so hesitant to do that kind of stuff until you know you're two years down the road and taking a look at you know how these guys you know, fair in the league because there's just so much information that people don't know behind the scenes, whether it's a character concern or, you know, medicals or even how the guy's going to fit in the locker room. 
Well, that's absolutely true. I mean, you look at Greg Robinson. I mean, I'm I'm sure the Rams got a positive grade when they drafted him. And, you know, down the line, I mean, he hasn't even made it out of OTAs and he's already been replaced at right tackle. So that's probably not a positive sign for Greg Robinson heading into fall camp. Um, so I'm, I'm with you 110% on not necessarily grading these guys right away. I will ask this. Is there a player that stands out to you from the draft, either on the defensive or offensive side of the ball? One guy or, or two maybe that stand out to you is, I really like this pick. Oh, well, I mean, stands out as an impact player this year or stands out just in general or? Yeah, stands out in general that you think could have an impact this year. You look at a guy like Josh Reynolds. I mean, if the Rams need a number one receiver, he might not be NFL ready right now, but could he have an impact? Maybe. Cooper Cup, definitely thinking that guy opposite Robert Woods. You have two guys that, and we've talked about this on the podcast, you have two guys who are so good at running routes that they can gain separation that way. Now, all of a sudden you have Josh Reynolds and Tavon Austin that are freed up to do what they do because the defense has to worry about these route runners. Um, So I I don't know if there was a guy that stood out to you that could have an impact maybe this year, but if you think an overall, that's fine too. Well, you know, uh, I think you mentioned, I think you mentioned the receivers. I think it's going to be a big part of what they do now. Uh, you know, a big part of, uh, uh, you know, the offense that, uh, that he had over in Washington predicated on the tight end. And we didn't really talk much about Gerald Everett in there, but I think he has a, a chance to be a big red zone target early. Um, you know, he's going to be a good move guy, I think. Um, so we'll, we'll see how he impacts the offense. I think tight ends are, you know, maybe a bigger deal than the receivers, uh, you know, per se in that offense, because I, we've seen guys can kind of plug and play in that style of offense at the receiver position and then tight ends come in and excel. So, um, you know, Cup, he's an advanced route runner. Um, I think he's a guy that uh, has has some potential uh, in the league. Reynolds, um, you know, he's supposed to be the, the, the vertical guy. He's a little more raw, um, definitely a little more unpolished. Um, you're probably looking at a year or two before he's really impactful other than to just get out there and run a nine or try to clear out, um, you know, defenders for the underneath guys. So he may have an impact that's not necessarily noted on the stat sheet early uh, if, they, if they can get him in that role. Uh, and then we saw a couple of Wade Phillips picks. Of course, the John Johnson picks, definitely a Wade, a Wade pick. And uh, um, uh, Samson, that's another that's really a weight pick, um, you know, highly athletic pass rusher type, going to sit there on the outside, get the right, uh, the right size. Um, shoot. Uh, even Terrell smart, maybe penetrating three tech. Um, he's a little small, but, um, you know, I think, uh, I think he could be an impact player as well. You know, when you, uh, when you look at the, First off, you kind of you uh, let's give you give props and credit where it's due. You definitely called the interest in the tight ends uh, with that first pick uh, when you were on here a few weeks before the draft. But um, when you look at when you look at the picks and just kind of overall, I feel like there's a there's an extreme focus to as far as the defensive side go. There's an extreme focus to really fo- get build that pass rush back up. Um, kind of sort of like build what he had there in uh, Denver, maybe not. Exactly, because you don't have the the secondary that he had. But um, as far as the, the players in the box, um, 
they brought in, as you already mentioned, Tenzel Smart and Samson uh, Ibukum, and, and then they also brought in Juan uh, Price, and of course they signed Connor, Connor Barwin. It does, does it seem like the Rams are really focusing on getting after the quarterback more than the secondary? Well, yes. The way Phillips' defense is predicated on pressure from the front seven, uh, you don't have to have a great secondary. A great front seven will make a good secondary great. Um, all you need are guys that can kind of play press man and that can play out on an island. You need one high safety. Um, and, and that's really how the way Phillips' defense runs. It's bringing pressure from creative angles every time. Uh, and then your corners just have to cover, be able to cover for three, you know, three seconds, three, three and a half seconds, and that's it. Um, so. Uh, you know, ideally, you want to try to get guys who are physical, they're disruptors, they'll jam you at the line. You don't really want a gambler out there because they're going to be playing on an island. But uh, if you've got a guy yeah. who's not afraid to mix it up, jam at the line, and they can, you know, can, can flip hips and cover, uh, you know, for two and a half, three seconds, uh, you're going to be highly successful in the NFL. And that's what Wade's looking for. And that kind of brings me to my next question. Like, we, we know the situation. Well, we sort of know the situation. There's a lot that we don't know. But uh, with Tremaine Johnson, he he wants his contract, you know. He's not he's not there at uh, camp and or OTAs and uh, you know the when they asked Sean McVay about it, he said he didn't know why. But I think it's pretty obvious for most people that you know Aaron Donald sitting out. They got right on top of it, and Tremaine's probably like, "Hey, let me try let me try my luck and sitting out and see if I can get a deal done." And with the what you mentioning that you don't need a great secondary, you just need a good one in the defensive front to make it better. Is, are the Rams really p- kind of playing it, playing it a little too uh, loose with uh, Tremaine? Because you really don't want to. You really, he really kind of holds all the cards. You know, he he can re- he can hold out. He can go ahead and sit on the seventeen million dollars he's going to get paid. He re- he holds all the cards in his hand as, because the Rams kind of put themselves in that situation. Well, or do they really want to burn that bridge by sort of being hesitant or um, taking their time to address his contract situation? Well, I think I think the Rams hold the cards in this situation. I, I don't think that you know. I think they view Tremaine as a one-year rental. Uh, I don't think they view him long-term. I think when you when you look at what they were, they want the coaches wanted to get in place and kind of see what they have uh, down the roster from Tremaine, and then decide if they want to you know extend him at the cost that it's going to take to do so. Um, I, I think that you know Wade's philosophy is is that if we've got you know en- enough of a front seven, where well, we can just plug and play any of those guys out there on an island, and we don't have to sit there and pay exorbitant amounts of money. Um, now in Denver, it worked out a little differently because Elway brought in uh, totally even paid him before Wade got there, um, and then you know he had uh, uh, Chris Harris, a guy that was an undrafted that was due up for a contract extension, so they ended up giving us some money. But um, you know they, they kept going to the well with draft picks. You know you look at guys like Kayvon Webster or Bradley Roby, you know guys like that. Um, so <laughs> there's a little bit of a different situation when you look at the, the Denver situation. But ultimately, Wade's not a guy that's going to sit there and advocate bang the table for you to be overpaying corners. Uh, if you're going to pay for anybody, you're going to pay for an elite pass rush, and then you go out and rent corners. So that that kind of brings me to my question. It, it, there's a lot of talk about, and, and I know he was a seventh-round pick, but you look at Juan Price. He's an undersized guy out of pit who I think the Rams have had a little bit of success with undersized pass rushers out of pit. Um, they feel like Juan Price could be in that mold. Do you, where do you come down on him? What do you think the ceiling is for a guy like Juan Price? 
I think he's the rotational guy. Um, I think if you want to put a comparison on it, I think he's the, the Shaq Barrett, if you will, of this defense. Um, he's going to be the rotational guy. You're going to have your primary outside pass rushers and guys are getting after it, but uh, you bring him in, uh, you know, as a rotational guy to keep them fresh so that you, your pass rush is still strong going into the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, the way Phillips defense is predicated on the 60 philosophy, and that's that if you have a guy playing 60 plays a game, that's too many. The performance falls off after that. So you want to be able to rotate guys through and keep that pass rush fresh um, you know going on the Broncos did that with uh, with Shaq Barrett and Shane Ray uh, so he'll be one of those types and I would I would say the Shaq Barrett role is probably the uh, the appropriate role to say now flipping to the offensive side of the ball it's it's probably unlikely that Jared Goff could do worse than he did last year but the Rams have also gone out into the draft. And like you said, there were positions of need and within their capabilities, the Rams addressed those. I think that they got everybody they could with what they had. I mean, you you weren't going to be able to get like a guy like Gerald Everett and a, a quality, quality corner by the time, they picked again, they just weren't going to be there. Um, but the offensive side of the ball, they've added a number of receivers to try and help Goff out. How much better do you think he's going to be this season, given the new additions on the offense? And a guy like Matt LaFleur, who is a teacher and really helped bring Matt Ryan to the forefront of the NFL with this play. Well, I think, uh, you know, I think they tried to go out and clear the path for Jared Goff to win the job. They said the best quarterback's going to win it, but, um, you know, and, and Goff would be the, the prohibited favorite based on the way they cleared the roster. Getting rid of Keenum, you bring in Dylan Thompson, who's a nobody. Uh, Sean Mannion's just, just a body. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those things where they're, they're trying to give Goff every opportunity, but at the same time, uh, you know, he, he definitely has got to improve. Uh, to answer your question about LaFleur, I mean, having a quarterback teacher like that's very, uh, very valuable. I think the biggest addition and, and uh, to me personally, uh, to this offense is an out-of-skill position. Though I think it's Andrew Whitworth. You solidified left tackle over there, assuming he can stay healthy and you know age Agreed. doesn't catch up with him. He's been one of the top five tackles in the NFL over the last couple of years. So um, I, you know I think I think that really is the, the biggest piece on offense that was added. Uh, you know whether you talk about Robert Woods or you know one of the other draft pick additions or any that kind of stuff. I, I still think that's the big addition. And if you can uh, allow the game to slow down for golf or you know, if it happens to be Mannion or Thompson do happen to win it, I'll, I'll be inclusive here. Um, then, you know, you can allow the game to slow down and this offense that he's bringing in is not really a vertical offense. Uh, it's designed to be more of a quick hit. You know, I don't want to say dink and dunk per se, cause that's not exactly accurate, but we've all seen the Gruden Gulf coast offense over the years. Uh, a lot of, a lot of shallow crossers, slants, um, swing passes and, and getting the running back involved in the passing game as well. So you put your quarterback in, in position to succeed, you bring a balance to the table. And, uh, if you've got the protection to do it, you're going to be successful. So when looking at the, when looking at the offense and you already touched on it where he said the best quarterback is going to going to play. Is there a legitimate chance that Jared Goff could actually be benched this season? Well, I think so. Um, I, I definitely think so. I know McVay and LaFleur were both brought in 
you know, to be the guys to bring him up. But, uh, you know, being here in Denver, I see a similar situation as well. You know, you've got Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch. Well, Paxton was traded up for in the first round. And, you know, there's a possibility he may not win the job. Uh, he's heavily favored. And the coaches that they brought in, Bill Musgrave and Mike McCoy, known quarterback developers, uh, are guys they specifically brought in to develop Paxton. But if Paxton doesn't get the job, if the veteran comes in, you know, comes in and gets the job, then he comes in and gets the job. But, uh, you know, as a head coach, you can't be uh, playing for the future. You can't be coaching for the future because then you're coaching somebody else's team because you're not going to be there to coach them. Yeah, and guys, as Josh is switching to Skype, uh, I actually have a question along these lines. If Jared Goff loses the job and gets released, do you think that Les Snead would also lose his job? Sneed has been on, I don't want to say the hot seat per se, but has been on the chopping block um, with some of the moves behind the scenes that Stan Kroenke has been trying to make. Um, Sneed may lose his job you know, at the end of the year regardless, depending on how that is. He's a placeholder at this point, uh, unless the Rams suddenly come out and explode and McVay has the currency and decides to keep him. Um, but I, I think at this point he's a placeholder and his job is, uh, is shaky at best. I know Kroenke was putting out feelers to see what it would take to maybe bring in John Elway, um, you yeah. know, call him a president of, uh, of football ops and give him an ownership stake. Um, but that's uh, that's not going to happen at this point now. But I know those Steelers were out there. I don't think it would happen regardless. I think John Elway wants to stay in Denver, right? Well, ideally, yes. But Elway's also not signed his contract extension, and he's he desperately wants ownership. He's wanted ownership for years, uh... and he can't have it right now because of the way the Pat Bowlin Trust is set up with the Broncos. So, uh, you know, he, he always wanted ownership since he retired. Um, he just, you know, he doesn't have the money, and uh, you know, but now he's got the cachet as being one of the most successful general managers uh, in his first five years in the history of the game. So, uh, you know, I think that you know, if you're if you're Stan Kroenke, who has a relationship with Elway because he and Pat Bowlin co the Colorado Crush, which John Elway worked the front office for, um, you know, and, and Stan, of course, has uh, holdings here in Denver and other sports. Um, you know, there's a relationship there. Stan saying, well, I can bring some cachet to L.A. I can bring a proven winner to L.A. and, you know, that kind of thing. And, and uh, John can get what he wants out of it with a stake ownership. Now, like I said, John the other day said that he wants to stay in Denver and uh, reiterated that was his home. So that, that kind of stuff, that may be publicly saying, hey, this is dead. But I do know those feelers were out there. Interesting. That is so, very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm kind of a, a little bit caught off guard by that, actually. <laughs> uh, so, you know, what is the best case scenario for the Rams? Obviously, you know, you you, you have Kroenke uh, building this palace with his own money, which I I, I think. Is it, it needs to be mentioned time and time again that this just doesn't happen that often where owners front the entire bill. And the, the Los Angeles is really getting, a, not getting away with one here, but it's, it's, it's a boon. It's no doubt a boon that you, you don't have to pay for a stadium. Now, they have direct competition now with the Chargers who've moved to Los Angeles but will play uh, – uh, in in the StubHub Center until uh, this this palace is built. So, what then is the ultimate goal? Uh, 
do, do they want to bring in a guy like Elway? Is is that the natural next step? Is is just raking in the money from from the new stadium and 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 personal seat licenses? What what's the overall goal for the for the Rams here? Well, for the Rams, it may be different than the goal of the ownership. Um, Cronkie's always been the bottom line guy first. You know, is this making me money? Uh, and then goes from there. Uh, I think he realizes that he's got the potential for a uh, for a gold mine now because he's moved himself into being a power broker in the NFL, a top five owner uh, on assets by owning his stadium outright. Now he's got a tenant. He's got the Chargers going to pay him rent. Uh, that's ridiculous. You know, I mean, that's that's absolutely ridiculous. I uh, there's some terminology I want to use here that I'm not sure is family friendly for that. But um, I I just <laughs> think that uh, I, I I think that if you're if you're Stan Kroenke, you're going to be making money hand over fist. Now it becomes about legacy. You don't want to be have a legacy of being a bad owner. And right now, uh, the Colorado Avalanche are bad. The Denver Nuggets are bad. And Cronky Sports is uh, uh, their radio station here in town is dead last in the ratings. So uh, now it becomes uh, a, a, a thing about legacy. Now it becomes about what is your brand, you know? And he had uh, the Elway thing would have given him, you know, would have given him some cachet, would have given him some some legitimacy uh, in that. I think he wants to win, uh, but winning hasn't always been a secondary concern, or at least it's come across that way with uh, with Cronky. So we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. Right. You know, you look at Arsenal and, and and you look at, okay, Arsen Wenger has been there forever. Kroenke's owned the team for, I don't know, what about eight, nine years now? Um, but there's been no growth with the team. Like, it's, it's, it's just been finish inside the top four, finish ahead of Tottenham, maybe win a trophy that nobody cares about. But even in years when they easily have the best team, Arsenal just underperform. And I think that goes to your point about some of these things not really developing the way that Kroenke would like them to. I, I think Arsenal is the biggest failure, which is why I, I look at the Rams and, and now hearing this John Elway thing, it would... If you want to build a genuine winner, then you need to staff the front office with people who know how to win. And I don't think that that comes with less need. I, I, I just, I haven't seen anything out of less need that suggests to me this is a guy that's going to, as a GM, guide the Rams to a Super Bowl. But John Elway... I would trust him to build the Rams into one of the NFL's most dominant teams. Yeah, and I think that's the I think that's the perspective there. Is if you had the shot at that, you have to take it. Now, like I said, I, I think that that's probably dead at this point, uh, and I don't know how much interest there was on Elway's side. But I will tell you that, they, like I said, that I know that there were feelers out. Fair well, enough. If- Go ahead, my sister. If we're looking at at the front office, um, you know, I think a lot of the the blame with the way things have gone uh, in recent years has fallen on Jeff Fisher. You know, it's all been the finger has fallen towards Jeff Fisher. But now that Jeff Fisher's gone, one common thing said is that you're seeing a lot of the moves that, you know, that's being made. And they're still pretty similar to what you've seen before Jeff Fisher left. Um, Is it fair to say that Less need has had a little more control than what was originally believed. I think that's a possibility. Um, uh, he may have, you know, 
you may have bowed to Fisher's wishes in a couple of cases, but if we look at what the Rams have drafted over the last five, six, seven years, it's not been good. Now, I don't want to blame Jeff Fisher anymore. I know he's a popular whipping boy, but Jeff Fisher took the Rams from absolute laughing stock to at least mediocrity. Um, you know, and, that, and that's something that, that is an accomplishment in and of itself, taking a team that is terrible and turning it into at least competitive. Uh, you know, I wouldn't give credit where credit is due to Jeff Fisher. Not that he's the, some kind of savant or genius, but he, he did turn the team around uh, after the, yeah. the three previous coaches had, had left them mired in the dirt. Now, uh, you look at the roster overall and you say, OK, I see the talent on the defensive side. I see spots and talent on the offensive side. But uh, the roster isn't really stocked the way it should be, especially after that RG3 trade, um, you know, that the roster should have had more. They should have gotten more return on their investment for that. And, you know, some of those evaluations that they've made, especially on the offensive side of the ball, have been bad. What is the common sense of, you know, just the, the feel for let's need to run a league? Like, you know, it's, it's obvious how the league feels, you know, around the league guys feel about John Elway, for example, or, you know, a less positive one, Ryan Grigson, <laughs> you know, um, so certain guys have certain reputations. Like, what is the feeling around the league with Les Snead? Like, how's he viewed? He's probably in over his head with the job that he has. Um, there are people that view him positively, uh, mostly guys he's got a relationship with from, you know, from the Falcons or whatever. But uh, the reality is, is that as you start to look at his resume, um, you know, out on his own, he's not really a guy that's gone out there and, uh, and, and made the, the correct moves. Uh, so I, I would say that my feeling on it is just that he's mostly a guy that's in over his head. He's probably promoted past his point of maximum effectiveness. Yeah, that's kind of been my feeling toward it. But I, I, again, with with the absence of Jeff Fisher, I think you're going to see more of what Les Snead is about. So I do think there are question marks. While I agree with you, there's there's a lot of there's no hard evidence with just Les Snead by himself at least that we know of outside of the, the, the golf trade, which I think is going to ultimately define his tenure. Um, there are mixed reactions on the trade. And I think ultimately, you know, we'll see how it plays out, whether or not he turns into a franchise player or if he becomes sort of a Ryan Leaf type character. But the one thing that we know about golf is he's, he's getting to work. And he's pulling guys in around him to help him get better. Um, what is the genuine belief about Goff in the same vein of Les Snead? Is, is it, is, do people feel like he was sort of a square peg in a round hole in Fisher's offense and McVay slash LeFleur's offense is going to be much more friendly to his abilities thus him improving or do they just think that that this he can't no it's it's done it's over well, I wouldn't say that. I would say people are interested to see what he can do in a new offense. Uh, you know, the offenses that were rolled out during Jeff Fisher's tenure were uh, uh, predictable to be charitable. Um, they weren't very good. Uh, Jeff Fisher had a, had a bad habit of hiring bad offensive coordinators. Um, so 
so, and, and that's really kind of been the, the run on the, the book on Jeff Fisher for most of his career. Uh, defense has been pretty good. Pretty good. The offense has been pretty bad, with the exception of uh, a couple of those Titans offenses where he had McNair and uh, uh, and uh, Heimerdinger. But other than that, um, you know, the book on Fisher is that he's hire bad coordinators. Uh, some people are interested to see what golf can do. Um, you know, once he, uh, you know, once he gets under an offense, that's considered competent, um, which, you know, I, ideally, uh, <laughs> uh, the current offense would be, would be. Yeah. You know, you, you look at what, what favors golf, what kind of formations, um, are, are generally more favorable to his abilities and I think those four and five receiver sets are, are ultimately what we're going to see more of. Sticking him under uh, sticking him under center was probably not the wisest idea. But I myself am curious what kind of teacher Lafleur is going to be for Goff because he did such a remarkable job with Matt Ryan that one can't help but be enamored with Lafleur and Goff, if he can tweak some things and make him into the force that Matt Ryan is, then the Rams would have something special. Uh, obviously, that's that's best case scenario. What do you feel is is the ceiling for Goff with this new offense? I mean, what does your gut tell you? Well, it'll play more to his strengths, which is getting the ball out quickly um, rather than trying to develop things vertically, uh, you know, as they've uh, tried to do in, uh, uh, you know, previous seasons. I don't, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Um, you know, he was a guy who played his best ball was played uh, in the in the shotgun and out of the uh, out of the air right there at Cal. And I, you know, that was something I had a knock on him when he was coming out. I, I wasn't. Uh, um, I really wasn't sold on him as a prospect or a first-round prospect. I believe I had a second-round grade on him uh, to, to peals of laughter for most people. But uh, you know, and, and I hope he succeeds. I don't want to sit here and root against the kid. I, I never want to be rooting against somebody. But uh, sure. you know, I hope he succeeds. Um, I think the I think the the larger question is how he adapts to uh, you know NFL play calling. I think the bigger thing is less uh, him being out there in the shotgun and that kind of stuff and more how they're going to handle terminology uh, this season. You know, uh, That's what uh, I'm Fisher curious about. Yeah, they used to use that archaic, that archaic terminology. It took forever to get the play calls in, and rookies just aren't ready for that kind of stuff. Yeah, that I, I've been wondering that because the West, and I'm sorry, I said the West Coast offense, like, like you watch, and I, and I try and absorb the old NFL films, but, but you, you know, one of the things that you picked up out of that is that the terminology for getting these plays out, it was miserably long. It's like five sentences. I remember like Steve Young once saying like, you know, talking about like how difficult it was to get some of those play calls because they were so damn long. You, you had to have a certain amount of time left on the clock just to call it. Uh, but they, I don't think that that's going putting that on Goff is another recipe for failure, which is why I'm wondering what's the middle ground here? How, how do you, how do you simplify the terminology yet still, get the same results out of the offense. 
Well, I mean, there's different terminology sets out there. The three most popular nowadays are, you know, what we call mistakenly call the West Coast, which is basically Walsh's, uh, you know, Walsh's offense. You still got some people that are adherents of the Coriel terminology, guys like North Turner, uh, and then you know the the Patriots who kind of pioneered with the uh, the Earhart Perkins terminology stuff, which is designed to get the play call out super quick, and they've been very effective with it. So, um, I, I think you know, trying to move to a terminology-based system that gets the play call out, limits the verbiage, and allows everybody to understand what's going on is crucial in the modern NFL and you know hopefully uh, you know golf adapts to that it's not just that's one component of it you know everybody talks about you know somebody's arm and this that and the other but there are so many components to playing quarterback um, that, that it's, it's more than just that and the average fan simply doesn't know what they don't know you know I actually and I think we, we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago but I actually think that that's kind of the one of the focuses of uh, Sean McVay's offense heading into this year is kind of, I won't say dumbing it down, but making it easier to not only get the plays out, but understand as well. And the reason I say that is you look at Jared Goff and you, you hear him talking in OTAs about how quickly he's picking it up. You know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of reports coming out talking about that. He's, uh, he's adapting quickly and he's, you know, he's putting in all this extra time, but then you hear him verbally talk about it. And, you know, the, the way he put it is that he doesn't know if it's the coaching or, or excuse me, the way that it's taught or if, uh, if it's the, the verbiage, but he's picking it up quicker than what he even expected. Does that say a lot more so to Jeff Fisher and the way that the way that he ran his team and the offense they ran? Or is that more so Sean McVay understanding how to make it a little easier for a guy? Um, I think it's a combination of both. You know, Fisher was an old school guy. Um, they used Coriel, you know, terminology last year. And it's, um, you know, when you're an old school guy and you've been a coach for a long time, you expect everybody to bend to the way you do things because that's the way you've done it. You've been around that long. Obviously you've been successful to a degree. So, um, you know, that's, you kind of expect it, but yeah, I think it's a combination of the two. I think it's McVay and Lafleur are guys who are, you know, know to try to make it as easy on a quarterback as they can. And, and, you know, golf's, uh, he's not an idiot, you know, I mean, the kid's not dumb. Uh, yeah, you know, he went to Cal with Cal Berkeley. I mean, you know, so it's it's one of those things where I think uh, uh, I, I think it's a combination of things. I think the kids got you know got a little bit of uh, got a little bit of smarts to them, and I think that um, you know you got guys that are um, uh, I don't want to say quarterback whispers per se, but guys that know or at least try to um, make things as easy on the quarterback as possible, and that's you know for kind of where they're going with it. So uh, one of the things I think is going to help golf a lot, um, and I've I've mentioned this quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, but I think it's, you, you know, you look at Andrew Whitworth, you see that addition there. It's like, obviously, that's a huge addition, you know, but the player that I look at and I say I think it's going to help golf more than anyone is actually John Sullivan. And it's because, you know, the center is an extension of the quarterback. Um and one of the things that golf struggled with the most uh, last year was being able to identify blitzes and understanding hot reads and knowing where to go with the ball. I, would you say that the addition of John Sullivan is probably one of the stronger additions uh, to the team this offseason just because of the ability for him to go out there and make calls and help help golf out pre-snap? Well, yeah, I would say it is. And that was one of my knocks on golf coming out. You know, a lot of people didn't realize that golf didn't make the protection calls at Cal. Uh, his center did that. 
so, you know, it, it becomes difficult for a, for a guy because the air rate is so crowdsourced in how it reads uh, a defense. You've got receivers that are reading their, their, their corner coverage and they're giving hand signals back to the quarterback. You've got a running back uh, that's back there helping to read uh, the linebackers and telling the quarterback what's going on. The center's giving the line calls. It's the quarterback just really in the air raid uh, and in those tempo offenses has to be a point guard. And that doesn't work in the NFL. Um, you, can't, you can't be that guy. You can't crowdsource it like that. Or at least no team has done successfully yet um, so you know he comes in uh, behind the curve and I, I think that speaks to your point that yes having a center that knows how to do those kinds of things it can be um, you know a vocal leader until he's established himself um, you know I think is probably uh, very very helpful and you know you you touched on this earlier in the podcast but Andrew Whitworth to me is is Probably the most important signing that the Rams made this offseason. Greg Robinson simply wasn't getting it done. And like a fine wine, uh, Whitworth, even though he's getting older, is improving with age. Uh, Like you've mentioned, he's had those Pro Bowl seasons just recently. And um, I, I had on Joe Goodberry... Um, who I'm sure you're familiar with. And, and one of the things that he brought up is is he loves Andrew Whitworth and was sad to see him go from, from Cincinnati, obviously. But he is curious to see how he'll develop now that he doesn't have the offensive line coach that he had at Cincinnati. Pardon me for not knowing the guy's name. Um, but he's being put into a new offense, a new system, and in, in there's going to be an adaptation period with him that Joe is, he wasn't apprehensive about. He was curious about. He's curious to see how Whitworth will do. We know he's going to be a vocal leader, but how do you think he will transition from what they did in Cincinnati to what they're going to be doing here in Los Angeles? Well, um, yeah, first of all, Paul uh, Paul Jackson, the, the uh, Paul Alexander, excuse me, the, the offensive line coach up there in Cincinnati. He's been there for like 21 years, I think. Um, you know, he's, he's kind of been the guy up there, and he, he has a different style of coaching. And he, you know, it, it, it's it's worked for them with some of the guys that they've produced over the years. Uh, do I think that there's going to be an adjustment to you know to Paul Bedrone the way he does things? Yeah, um, there, there certainly will be. I, you know, offensive line though, there's not. There's a right way to do things and there's a wrong. There's not like a whole bunch of different ways to tell somebody how to do things, you know. Um, so I don't think that uh, um, I don't think that uh, it's a situation where you're going to sit there and and have some kind of massive technique change. That doesn't make much sense to me. And I don't think uh, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, I was just curious at more or less. I, I, don't, I don't think that there are going to be issues. I'm just curious at how you saw it. That's pretty much what Joe was was laying down. It's not so not so much that there's apprehension that, that he won't succeed or that he'll struggle with it. More curiosity because, like you said, Cincinnati have had a guy there for a number of years, and, and you sort of develop a style and a way of playing – and that's going to change for Whitworth. But this is a guy who is obviously getting better as he gets older. Can he keep up the Pro Bowl caliber uh, play? And I mean, do you think he will be a Pro Bowl player next year? Yeah, I think he can be. I, I think that people don't realize how little tread um, 
you know, he had off the tire. He came into the league pretty old. Um, so that's, you know, he came in the league 25, 26 years old. Um, uh, you know, I think it was when, when, uh, when he came in the NFL. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like he was, um, you know, he's been playing the league, just, just chewing up those, those years. He, he got started a little bit late. Um, you know, as far as that kind of stuff goes. So I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think it'd be fine. I think he can still play at that level. I think he's, he's certainly shown, um, that he can be, uh, that player. Um, I, I think that, uh, I think he's got a lot of football left in him, a year or two of, of top-tier football left in him. Um, and obviously, you know, he went to the Pro Bowl back-to-back in, in 15 and 16. So, um, you know, I think he's shown that he can play at a high level uh, late into his career. You know, he said something the other day, uh, Andrew Whitworth did, where he's talking about Jared Goff, and he says that he looks at Jared Goff and – he, uh, he looks at Jerry Goff, and when they asked him, they uh, asked him about a comparison to Andy Dalton. And unprompted, you know, he actually went to Carson. Um, he actually went to Carson Palmer and used Carson Palmer as more of an example, saying that as far as the character goes, the type of player he is, the vocal and the way he he is around the building, he's closer to Carson Palmer than he is Andy Dalton. You know, he said he's very vocal. He's kind of outgoing, and uh, Dalton was more of a shy guy. Now. To me, that kind of fell in line with what you've been hearing all offseason about the work he's been putting in, being there, they're putting it up, throwing with Cooper Cup and throwing with Robert Woods and just kind of being around the facility and really kind of taking on that leadership role. When you hear these types of things, you know, unprompted, of course, from a veteran who's very well respected, you know, he I think what he says probably holds a little more weight than what, uh, say, a, a Tavon Austin says about him. Uh, no, there's no shade towards Tavon Austin, but, you know, it's just you have that certain respect level after certain many, so many years in the league and Pro Bowls and all pros. When you hear those types of things get said, does that kind of shed a little light on where Jerry Goff might be right now in his progression? I think it speaks more to personality type than anything else. Um, you know, Dalton is more of an introvert. Palmer, more of an extrovert, had that California thing going on. Goff, a bit more of an extrovert, got that California thing going on. Um, so I, I don't think that it's necessarily a comment on his progression so much as it is, uh, you know, personality type. Um, you know, Whitworth's been around young quarterbacks before he's been around veteran quarterbacks. I think that that's going to be an asset, um, you know, because you definitely want your, your big guys up front to understand that they need patience uh, sometimes when a, when a young quarterback makes a boneheaded play. And so having a guy who's been through that with Whitworth and, you know, those guys who have been through that before, uh, who've seen winning culture, but have also seen a, a young quarterback struggle at times, I think is going to be invaluable. And like, I want to clarify, like when I say the, the progression, I mean more so like his ability, his adaptation to, to the NFL, you know, um, that's probably one of the hardest parts is, you know, just being able to adapt to, not just the speed of the game, but then also the culture and being able to get, you know, they, they say all the time, you know, how, to, how do you as a 21, 22, 23 year old quarterback go into the huddle and demand the respect of guys who's been in the league for seven, eight years already? You know, how do you do that? And um, they always say that, you know, you got to be able to take control. You got to be a leader. You know, you got to be vocal. And that's kind of what I mean. Is that more so, you know, when you hear him say things like that, being that being that vocal, outgoing taking control, stepping up to the plate, is that more so a sign of his ability to adapt and growing into that role of, you know, what you need to do to be a good quarterback? 
Um, yeah, I mean, obviously you need to be able to do that, take control of the huddle and do that. Young guys can be a bit hesitant with it, um, you know, until they develop the confidence and that confidence is usually backed by how they've been playing. So it's a, you know, it's a, uh, dog chase tail kind of thing. You know, you start playing well, you get the confidence to, to take command because you're playing well, and then you take command of the huddle and then people respect it, but they already respect it because you were playing well and that kind of thing. So, uh, it's, it's the one thing that gets the other type scenario. <coughs> Josh, what do you get? Oh, yeah. Um, I was just going to go with a couple listener questions here before we let let you go. <clears throat> uh, Flipper Anderson, uh, or DC Film Ninja, um, wants to know <laughs> what direction does the front office, what direction does he hear the front office is going to fill the roles around Sneed? A uh, while back, we heard about a possible president of football ops. Um, I'm sure that some of this was covered in the Elway discussion, but removing Elway from it, what else have you heard about this situation? Uh, in terms of the front office? Yeah, he was saying he... They're looking at, I mean, they're looking at all possibilities. If Sneed, you know, if Sneed works out, he works out. Um, it's, it's really incumbent on McVeigh how quickly he succeeds and how much currency he builds up to be able to either keep Sneed if he wants or move on to who he wants to, you know, to be up there. And that's kind of how that's going to go. They, the other part of, a part of that was because McVeigh is so young at 30 years old, you know, youngest coach in the, uh, in the NFL, uh, it becomes a question of, you know, do we have to have some experience in here somewhere? Uh, having a defensive coordinator like Wade Phillips certainly helps. And the guy has been around the league for years, but uh, at the same time, you do need some, some veteran voices in that front office who've been around the league a little while, uh, not just because of, uh, uh, you know, seeing things, but also those relationships back and forth with different teams to, you know, to trade or move players and that kind of stuff. So um, Sneed is at this point a placeholder. That doesn't mean he can't solidify his job. Doesn't mean he won't solidify. It just means that uh, at this point he's a placeholder and a lot of uh, his job depends on what happens on the field. Can we expect to see a big year from Robert Quinn as an upright rusher? Alex Washburn wants to know. Uh, I would say yes. Uh, you know, you can look at Wade doing that with other players, whether it was DeMarcus Ware in his career in Dallas, Von Miller in Denver, uh, both Ware and Miller in Denver, really. Um, Shane Ray was a down lineman who, who, you know, who started standing up under Wade. Um, you know, he, he has a, a, a litany of successes with that. So if Quinn is uh, in any way coachable, then you should, yes, expect that. Uh, Joe Marciano wants to know if you put cash in aerospace and defense, like you told him, like he told you. <laughs> uh, no, I pulled my money out of the market a couple of weeks back, right before it tanked. Um, uh, I put my portfolio uh, mostly into Bitcoin at this point. So, um, you know, I, that, that's where my money is right now. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, all right. So my last question for you, or my last couple questions for you are this. All right, so what do you think the upward limit of the Rams is? What is that? What is their ceiling for win total? What would you cap it off at? I would say, given the youth uh, of this team, the youth of the staff, and and the transitional period it's in, I would say a seven or eight win season uh, would be something you should be happy about. Um, I, I think it's trending upward. I think the team is headed in the right direction. I just don't see a big win total in a, uh, an ostensibly tough division. 
um, with, with with Seattle and Arizona and a Niners team that, that that should be better than it was previously uh, right. over the last two years. Um, I, I don't think that uh, that's I don't think seven or eight wins is uh, is a bad number at all for this Rams team where it's at. Uh, if you get into year two and that's the expectation, that's a problem. Uh, but I think 500 should be the goal. Um, you know, if you can get the nine wins or even flirt with a wild card, uh, so much the better. But uh, if you get to eight and eight, I think that's a good season. I think you build a foundation, you test out you know players that yeah you think are going to be long term players for this team, and that gives you a an idea of what you're going into year two where you want to be competitive and make the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely agree on that front. I, I, this feels to me like it's going to be a feeling out period for Sean McVay. He was going to see what he has. He's going to talk with his offensive and defensive coordinators at the end of the year, and then they're going to address things moving forward as he will finally have a first-round pick. Um, the, the, the brunt of the golf trade will have already taken effect. So now that the Rams are effectively back in the draft, uh, so to speak, um, moving forward, what type of player do you see him drafting next year in the first round? Do you think it's going to be a situation where if Goff has another bad year, they go with a quarterback. Do you think they go with the number one receiver? Obviously, they're working on the Aaron Donald deal. Uh, Want to surround the offensive line with help. What, what, what type of approach do, does McVay take in his first year with, with full authority? Um, I think you're going to you're going to see an approach where they're they're trying to shake the roster out, see what they got. Um, you know, you'll put these players through the paces and see if they're, they're the kind you got. And then what you'll have is a reactive draft to that. Um, is Todd Gurley the player we originally saw, or was he the player we saw last year? Uh, you know, is uh, is Tyler Higby a guy that can that can stay on the field and produce at a high level? Uh, if he is, you know, that's a cornerstone, you know, tight end move right there. Um, Robert Woods is he is he a solid you know outside receiver? Tavon Austin is he the future of your franchise at, at the two, or is he maybe a slot guy and a you know a punt returner? And if so, uh, can you get that contract off the books for one that's you know a lot better, uh, cheaper, and younger? Um, so you know, I think that what you're going to have is, and then the holes on the offensive line. Which, which offensive line guys need to be replaced? Uh, you're going to have to have a long-term left tackle eventually. Um, you know, Whitworth is you know 35 years old. So whether we think he can play a high level or not, you're going to need one eventually. Uh, so I think what you're going to see with this team going forward is this is a, a tryout year. Let's see what you got. You know, let's see what players want to come out here and put up, put everything on the line and play well. Uh, those guys are going to be the cornerstone of the team going forward. And then, um, you know, after that, we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get, we'll head to the draft and free agency and look to fill those holes. Yeah. It, 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 like you said, it feels like, all right, which guys are actually going to work? Which guys are going to put in the effort? Which guys are going to be guys that want to stay around and compete for their spots? And which are guys that just aren't putting forth the effort and we can move on from or get out from underneath those contracts by trading them, waiving them, or, or whatever the case may be. Um, the last thing I would ask, and I, I apologize if it's been asked, um, but what are you hearing about Aaron Donald and and how close are the Rams to actually getting this done? Uh, well, they're they're working on it. Um, that is a uh, a 
big priority. It's not like it's, uh, you know, it's something that's, well, we'll get to it kind of thing. I mean, it is the priority uh, for them. They're, you know, every, everything else is a secondary concern behind uh, getting Donald wrapped up. Um, you know, uh, there's plenty of time to do it. Um, it's not something that's, uh, that needs to be done this very instant. Um, uh, but they're they're, uh, they're, they're going to be fine. Uh, they'll get it done. I, I don't. I wouldn't say that they're, uh, uh, you know, uh, within a few days striking distance, if that makes uh, uh, any sense. Um, but they're they're working it, and they'll get it done. Yeah. the The only thing that I'd have to add on that, and Mike and I had talked about it, is that we feel like, look, obviously Aaron Donald's going to get paid first, and it's. I don't necessarily have a problem with it. It's just, if I were Trumaine Johnson, I would feel like, all right, guys, I've been sitting here for a couple years. Like, this is the second year in a row you franchise tagged me. Like, I know you need to get Aaron Donald done, but you need to get me done. I've been waiting. Um, Are they going to get that done, or is it just, is that something that you feel like is ultimately going to end in the two team, or the two parties going their separate ways. Oh, well, with Tremaine, I, I don't think that uh, Tremaine will be there after this year. I think it's a franchise tag, and they'll, and they'll let him go for, for more use uh, and a cheaper uh, fit at the position, and that'll open up the money for you know for Donald to get the uh, to get the extension that he needs and deserves. Um, I, I really don't. I don't feel like they're going to get the Tremaine thing done long term. I don't feel like they want to get the Tremaine thing done long term. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. But just based on what I've been told, uh, I would expect uh, this to be Tremaine's last year, and uh, you know, with the Rams. Well, that's uh, that's going to make a lot of Rams fans uh, unhappy and or happy. We don't really know. Um, it's it's impossible to tell with this team. Uh, Myson doesn't have any more questions. I feel like we've kept you on for long enough. So what I want to do at this point, Ben, you know I always do it, is <laughs> give, you, give you time at the end to talk about whatever you have upcoming or anything that you want to point people to, uh, any articles or any uh, – uh, work that you've done that you'd like to draw attention to the floor is yours sir yeah i'm uh, i'm writing a book on 15th century french agricultural reforms and uh, no i'm just kidding that's that's not even close to happening um i uh no i, I just, you know same old stuff just plodding along if you uh, if you enjoy dumpster fires my twitter account is all right nfl and uh, you know if you like uh, you like the sound of the voice you're hearing you can uh, you can hear me on mile high sports am 1340 fm 104.7 in denver Fair enough. And we would like to thank you for coming on. Uh, If you haven't or are not following Ben, you need to take care of that because, like he said, it's a dumpster fire, but it's an enjoyable dumpster fire. Like there's 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 heart and soul behind it. I I feel like I feel like. It's a very informative dumpster fire. <laughs> yeah, well, well I mean, I like, like and with any dumpster fire, you can always bring marshmallows and toast them. So, yeah, and and I do like I, I personally love seeing well, frankly, idiots that respond to, to to posts, and you're just like, wow, this guy is definitely special in in some way, shape, or form, and and they keep going at it with you, and and they there's a point where they stop making sense that the tweets get really good for me because I'm not even sure what they're saying anymore. And, and 
yet they just keep coming after you. So I, I, I bet it's enjoyable and at the same time really not enjoyable. Like, I bet it takes up a lot of your day. Yeah, I think the worst thing that ever happened was my Twitter account becoming popular. But you know, it's it's still it's still fun to guess. I just I get frustrated at the the human condition sometimes. I'm looking at people. I'm like, good lord, you you couldn't pass a seventh grade science class, and you're sitting here trying to tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, I I mean like the people who I mean homeboy that filed the civil rights complaint over the damn Wonder Woman thing. It's like, are you flipping kidding me, man? Like, Wonder Woman is a symbol of female empowerment like she is one of the first female superheroes she was written and 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 developed by feminists and it is a feminist icon and it's just a woman allowing other women to come see a show without men and men and their fragile little ego and and other parts can't seem to 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 let it go I, I think the bigger it. problem there is that people are focused too much on identity. Uh, you know, too, well, it's feminist, liberal, Republican, you know, all this nonsense. We're, right. we're too focused on identity and not focused enough on problems. Who, who cares? If, if there's a theater that's showing it to women, then go to another theater. You know, right. spend your dollars somewhere else. If everybody goes and spends their, let the free market take care of it. If everybody spent their dollars somewhere else, well, then they quit doing it if it was a bad thing. And besides, I don't think a theater full of women watching Wonder Woman is the worst thing in the world anyway. If if they want to do that, if that, if that theater and that private business wants to do that, so be it. Who cares? I'll, I'll go somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, this this really isn't something that, that should be a problem in America, and yet fragile men make it a problem and it's just one of those things that i don't understand but it just falls back to the point of these are the people that you take down on your twitter that make the dumpster fire so damn enjoyable as you just rip these people to shreds with logic so i i appreciate it i know mycin appreciates it and if you're not following the website we are on turf show times at twitter.com um, and you can also go to the site, turfshowtimes.com. Uh, be sure to check out my work on Twitter, at Twist. You can check out Mycin at Mighty, or Mycin, M-I-S-O-N-E. And then our producer is Sports Speaks. His name is Scott Johnston. Find him on Twitter. And, of course, our guest, Major Awesome, AlbrightNFL.com <laughs> or AlbrightNFL at Twitter.com and that's two L's A-L-L-B-R-I-G-H-T NFL so thank you guys so much for listening and thanks to Ben for hanging out with us and we will catch you next time here on Church Show Time There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or 
I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.